You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogue. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Today we present part one of our Brewer's Guide to Lost Caverns of Ixalan. Join us on a fathomless descent as we craft maps, discover caves, and explore every cavern that's fit to brew in modern and pioneer. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, joining you during spoiler season, and I am happy to announce that I will be joined by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is Cave Dan online. He's Cave Dan in our hearts. Daniel Shriver, what is going on, my friend? Hello, David. Hello. I'm glad that my special guest appearances still bring joy to your heart. We got a very special guest today. It's Cave Dan. <laughs> His schedule was, was open. <laughs> we were able to book him. Fallon didn't want him. So we got a ton to get through. We were, seems like just yesterday, brewing up some sweet lists with Blossoming Tortoise. Wouldn't you know it, like a few days have passed and we have almost an entire set in front of us. We got about half the set. But they tend to front load the rares and mythic rares, right? So I think we've got like a yeah. lot of the cards that are going to matter. Exactly. So they're cramming all the previews into one week. Um, we'll get through as many as we can today. That's the agenda for this show, but I think we'll probably need a second episode to come back for whatever we missed. Yeah, we uh, often have the uh, drags in the later episodes, the three and four mana, five mana, six mana cards that end up not being playable at all. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So set review is the order of the day. Also got a tiny bit of magic news. And before we dive in, of course, just a little housekeeping right at the top, which is to say that if you're enjoying the program and want to support the show, the best way to do that is by heading to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. You can make a pledge at any tier you like, can be a dollar a week, and that gets you immediate access to our wonderful Discord community. Spoiler week, preview week, this is the time to get into Discord. The ideas are flying. Many cars have been declared cracked, many declared broken. Some might actually be. So we'll see. Yeah, and we want to welcome our newest patrons, Faye B and Chris W. Welcome to both of you. Thank you very much for the support. Exactly. Okay, David. So before we get into the current set, Lost Caverns of Ixalan, there was a small teaser that came out, a new collaboration Magic the Gathering and Marvel. Um, from what I could tell, this is going to be... <laughs> well, I was going to say shoved down our throats. It's coming. It's coming for modern, it sounds like. It sounds like there's going to be multiple sets. They're treating this, uh, I was going to say on par with Lord of the Rings, but based on the amount of money this probably involves, I'm guessing there will be it'll be even bigger than that. Yeah, I didn't watch the uh, thing, and uh, I don't play modern, so... Yeah, I mean, I think this is going to be a huge moneymaker for Magic the Gathering. It seems pretty relevant to me. Like, 
Thor and Spider-Man and Wolverine, these seem like creatures that would have power and toughness. Uh, legendary, uh, which they like to print anyway. Lots of stuff for commander people. You can uh, jump up a few um, casting costs for or power levels for cheaper cards, so you can sell packs to modern players. Seems like a, a win all around. How long do you think it'll be before they declare these legal in Pioneer? Um, never. Because um, they aren't balanced out. They'll, they might stop supporting Pioneer. Uh, I could easily see that. Or Explorer. But they do need a way to move standard legal cards. Like, that's the problem is they have these two competing things, right? Standard legal cards are not very interesting in modern with very few exceptions. They are constantly having um, mechanics that are only really usable in modern. I'm looking at the, uh, you know, the white enchantment that's five cheaper if you got the five mana colors because modern has fetch uh, triome mana bases. Um, the beanstalk, right, is a very well-designed card. It just happens to interact poorly with or very well, depending on what side you're on, Modern Horizons 2 cards. So they can keep doing that. Uh, the Descent ability is very easy to achieve in Modern. We'll talk about that uh, in, for this set. So they have a really hard time finding ways to sell standard packs to people unless they are playing Modern or, or excuse me, Pioneer or Explorer. There's only so many of these mechanics they can kind of jam in. So they do the, whatever you want to call it, Universes Beyond. That is stuff for apparently Legacy. is just all cards I don't even recognize anymore. <laughs> um, you know, Modern Commander. And then you have the standard, you know, limited, standard. And then those cards people still want to play with, especially as there's a gentle power creep. Those cards are playable in Pioneer. So I think those two tracks are very important. If you made the One Ring and all these other cards playable in Pioneer, you would have to create a new Pioneer set, maybe that doesn't go as far back or, or format, to keep people interested in, in feeling that their standard cards have some value. I just, I feel bad for Legacy players, but I'm even starting to feel bad for Commander players. There's just so many freaking cards to keep up with. They look fake. Like, at, at this point, they don't even look like cards anymore. So if you remember, David, maybe like four weeks ago, they previewed six or seven early sneak peeks, first look from Lost Caverns, right? And we've talked about them in that episode that uh, didn't actually make it out to release yet. But I wanted to go back and look at those cards again. So I went on Mythic Spoiler and I thought, where are those cards? Right? Because Mythic Spoiler lists everything in chronological order. And I was like scrolling, scrolling, scrolling through all like the new sets. And it's like, oh, okay, here's a bunch of like Doctor Who stuff. Here's a bunch of showcase stuff. Here's like six different secret layers. All of these cards have been previewed in the past. 20 days or something like that <laughs> so like i had to scroll through like 300 cards or more before i got to those six cards that i remembered from like what feels like just yesterday and i just like imagine having to like sit down in a game and, and know what all these cards do and even as someone like us you know we're obviously relatively invested in the game we record a podcast every week we play a lot of leagues or relative to the average person anyway i see content creators i guess with as i say with sneering disgust uh Posting screenshots of their leagues online for Legacy, and I don't recognize a single card on the stack. It's like, I recognize a fetch land. <laughs> like, I recognize a fetch land was sacrificed. And then there's like four <laughs> other things. And I don't know what any of them are. And I have to say, like, at this point, I just don't care. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I, ha I was at first frustrated. And I've just like let modern go. It doesn't bother me. It, it, I have no emotional attachment to it. Uh, people seem to like it. Or do they? All I hear from the people who play modern all day is how much they hate it. <laughs> I think Inspiring Spike's just losing his mind, <laughs> trying to keep brewing. Uh, you know, Doomwake has abandoned it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So anyway, 
Yeah, it just it is what it is. Like you just have to decide how much of the game you're going to interact with. It is nice that you can interact with it in many ways. You can just play commander. You can just play limited. You can just play standard. You can just play pioneer. You can play some number of those, whichever ones make you happy, right? If if it fills you with joy, otherwise uh, discard it. I made my peace with that for legacy for commander. I just stopped trying to keep up. Modern, I feel like with this Marvel announcement, modern is next. I just I just don't want to learn about Doctor Strange and all the Spider-Men and all that stuff. Like I don't know. And you know that's gonna happen on top of the normal sets. Or at least that was my thought. There was also a very disturbing tweet. Uh, it wasn't a tweet. It was the Q&A that Mark Rosewater does on his Tumblr, where someone said, boy, with these new Universe Beyonds crossovers, do you, do you envision a future in which you'll just stop making like Wizards IP sets, like the normal sets? And Mark Rosewater's answer was, at this time, there's compelling financial reasons for us to continue making normal sets. I'm like, oh God. Like, that, that's all? That's the, we're hanging on by a thread here. <laughs> But I mean, that's it. When we were talking about fire design, like the only reason they stopped fire designing and they've really kind of ramped up the power again, I think uh, it's not full on fire design, but like the sets have been pretty powerful um, is because they were losing like standard was just being abandoned like wholesale. So they're trying to make standard a thing again. Yeah. And that's the only reason they ramp the power down. Like it's only people stopping playing. That's the only thing that you can do. So if you don't buy commander product, then that tells them that they shouldn't make as many commander products. Hmm. But I think the the Hobbit set sold a ton, right? I mean, it was a massive financial success. So you can't argue about, oh, do I like this mechanic or the ring tempts you? It's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, nobody goes back and is like, oh, the third Batman was a disaster. It's like, no, the third Batman, the terrible one with like Mr. Freeze and all that nonsense, it made a bajillion dollars. So it was a success. That's why they made the fourth Batman, which was even worse. And then people stopped. <laughs> seeing them and then they're like oh okay we had to wait 15 years for nolan to reboot it like that's the only thing these people care about all you people care about is money hmm. we need a better class of criminal <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right enough marvel on to a uh, wizard's ip which for the time being is still is profitable <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it is glorious in the eyes of the state Okay, we didn't get to record it, but I really, really want to shout myself out mm. for calling exactly what a map token would be. I said exactly what it would be. I said it would be an artifact. You tap it for one and you it would explore. Correct. Correct. Uh, it does cost one mana to do that. But Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what I said it would be. Because I said it was weaker than drawing a card. Okay, so the, the mystery of the maps have been revealed. So yeah, let's just run through the mechanics in this set. There's a, a bunch of new mechanics. A bunch of new mechanics. Yes. Also, I want to just shout out, everyone knows this. I'm just going to say it one time. We won't bemoan it. The set symbol on these cards is so cluttered. I could never tell if anything was rare or mythic rare. And then a bunch of the image galleries had the wrong rarity assigned. So it was just a cluster. Like I look at a card, I was like, wow, it seems really weak for a rare. And then it wouldn't be rare or a card seemed really powerful for an uncommon. And it'd be mythic rare. So we won't belabor that. They need really need to do a better job. <laughs> it's a minor thing but it's just like preposterous how hard everyone commented on it like is this card rare and then it's like oh you have to look down in the left corner this is an easy i struggle with issue. that too this, this should not this should not be happening i mean the set symbol looks exactly like the original ixalan set symbol you just have to really really squint and you see there's an, an eye in the center yeah whatever uh mechanics mechanics new mechanics starting with yep. craft so apparently this is an artifact set um bizarrely so tell me about craft david 
So craft is an activated ability. I believe it is only on artifacts. It involves exiling the artifact itself and then some number of other permanents that you either control and or are cards in your graveyard. Now they can be, um, the conditions are, are very variable. So we won't, it'll change from card to card. Some craft with an artifact, some craft with the card we're going to talk about here, artifacts, or excuse me, non-lands with activated abilities, some craft with permanence. So yeah, it, it's a very strange ability. So the front side all does something. So the example we have here is Enigma Jewel. So one blue legendary artifact, it enters the battlefield tapped. Tap it for two colorless, spend this mana only to activate abilities. And then it has a craft ability. Craft with four or more non-lands with activated abilities, eight and a blue. So you have to pay eight and a blue. You can even tap the jewel to help you. You exile the Enigma Jewel and then four or more non-lands with activated abilities that you either control or are in your graveyard, and then you transform it. Uh, so it returns transformed under its owner's control. If you tap it, I guess it comes into play untapped, right? Yeah, it looks like crafting is a, an exile and then it returns. So exile okay, and return transformed. So if you do all that work, you get Locus of Enlightenment. So Locus of Enlightenment is a legendary artifact that has each activated ability of the exiled cards used to craft it. You may activate each of those abilities only once each turn. Whenever you activate an ability that isn't a mana ability, copy it. You may choose new targets for the copy. <laughs> so a shit ton of text on this card. <laughs> this is actually Mythic Rare. So that seems right. <laughs> Very complicated. Yeah. So right away, when you see craft with four or more non-lands with activated abilities, you're like, okay, this is just an impossibly high craft cost. And on top of that, it costs nine mana, sorcery speed. Everything that you craft gets exiled. It's just gone. So yeah, you prefer to craft out of the graveyard, I think, because you don't just want to lose all of your investment to a Leyline Binding. If you craft out of the graveyard, that is to say you, you give up your Enigma Jewel that's in play, and then you craft with four dead artifacts. Oh, excuse me, not artifacts, four non -land, dead non-land permanents. Then it's like a one-for-one, -one, um, and you get this potentially very powerful backside. But I think in this case, we can almost ignore the backside. Is that is that fair? I'm ignoring the backside 100%. I, I, building around that is pointless. Nine mana is a thing you're not going to get, even with this contributing two of it. You'd have to play a bunch of mill cards. Otherwise, it's the normal course of the game. would have to send cards to your graveyard. That have to be a very specific kind of permanence. And even the kind of permanence you'd want to play with this, let's say I'm just thinking Bankbuster, right? Turn two this, turn two Bankbuster. Locus of Enlightenment having the ability of Bankbuster doesn't do anything because it has no power and toughness and it has no counters to remove to draw cards with. Mm -hmm. So it has to also be a very specific class of activated abilities. You could activate, for instance, Shark Typhoon, which has a cycling ability. Well, Locus of Enlightenment doesn't get to cycle. <laughs> so it, again, it doesn't gain any abilities there. So... Yeah, I think you should just basically look at the front half and is it worth your time? Okay, so the front half, a single blue for a card that taps for two colorless mana only spent on activated abilities. I mean, this this is Omen Hawker. It's as many more Omen Hawkers as you want. Comes into play tapped. That's not good, but Omen Hawker was kind of the same um, outside of our Tyvar lines. This being legendary is also a bit of a bummer because you would love to just stack up Enigma Jewels and, you know, I kind of see why it costs nine. Like, if you're going to do this at all, right, if you're going to play Omen Hawker and Enigma Jewel, you're probably going to fill the entire deck. Like, literally every card should have an activated ability. And then it's actually not so hard to, to meet the craft cost and pay the craft cost. I'm inclined to 
just say, yeah, let's, let's just try it. I mean, my big worry about Omenhawker was that it's going to die or that we're not going to draw it, right? Some, the games just play out so differently if you have Omenhawker alive or not. If we have rule of eight, I mean, yeah, why not? Why not go for like a really powerful lions? I think activating a Nykthos with this mana ability is extremely powerful. It's functionally tapping for three um, with a Nykthos because of the devotion pip. You could use it to power up lands. I think that's one of the easiest ways to get activated abilities into your deck without having to compromise too heavily on your card quality. So I'm interested in even something like like Field of Ruin Demolition Fields, right? This this package of eight land destruction cards that hasn't really found its home yet in Pioneer, but maybe this is it. Maybe this is the solution. Got mono blue deck with Omen Hawkers, Enigma Jewels, and eight of those Stone Rain lands. Yeah, I mean, you keep describing that deck, and I am interested to see you play it. I keep playing decks that have enough basic lands that I don't think I'm interested in the Demolition Field thing. Um, but yeah, I've, I've had a bunch of success with the Omen Hawker. I think I've four one consecutive times with my Omen Hawker cycling list, and I would definitely play an Enigma Jewel or two in there. So I'm excited to try just that. Just maybe go up to the six of those effects. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I think you correctly point out the shark, Cycle Shark Typhoon on turn two for a 2-2 two -two that draws a card is insane against spirits. Often it just like kills a card, kills a creature uncounterably um, or blocks a, a spirit that's been pumped uh, by an enchantment. That's just game ending. And um, the Bankbuster lines uh, are awesome against Red Black. And then because you're playing blue, you get to play Counter Magic, which is the way that you get to interact with Mono Green and, and some of the other unfair decks. So how excited are you for this card? Uh, I mean, I love playing that deck. It's one of my favorite decks that I brewed. So I'm pretty excited to just play, like you say, like Omen Hawker 5, maybe Omen Hawker 6, and uh, see what happens. Just 5 and 6. I'm planning on never crafting. <laughs> just like delete the backside of the card. <laughs> okay. I guess you could do it like so. I will be playing. I mean, that deck is playing like three Odawara, one Sokenzin. Hmm in a couple of creature lands. So if they kill those creature lands or we cycle Odawara, I guess I still wouldn't want to flip it. I'd rather have the two colorless than the Odawara ability. <laughs> <laughs> How does the wording work with Bankbuster? So if I activate the ability of the Bankbuster, does it lose two tokens with the Locus of Enlightenment in play or removing the one token is two cards? Uh, I think removing the counter is part of the cost, the activation cost. Okay. So you remove one counter, you get two cards, I believe. Okay. But you won't have counters on the Locus, so... Right, but if I had a Bankbuster in play and a Locus of Enlightenment... Yeah. I'm just going to say this is really good. I know we've been burned before. I haven't actually made this blue activated abilities deck work, but I choose to believe. I feel like if I'm putting cards like Rona, like Nykthos, Bankbuster, like Omen Hawker, like Enigma Jewel into my deck, the, my card quality should be good. Yeah, also relevant, this is legendary. So it's kind of cool with Rona. It like, lets you loot again, and then you can flip Rona the next turn. There you go. Yeah. All right. Rona's the worst card in the deck, but that's fine. <laughs> this is on my list. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll, I will be 5 0 with this list, because I'm going to 5 0 with that other list eventually anyway. So this will just be in the list when it happens. So that is Craft. Next mechanic is Descend. Or more specifically, Descended. Descend for... Descent 8, and of course, Fathomless Descent. How many times have you descended today, David? <laughs> Just out of curiosity. 
I mean, you know, as long as you're getting enough fiber in your diet, <laughs> hopefully it's semi-regular. <laughs> I don't know what they were thinking with this. Why? Why did they do this templating? Like the word has lost all meaning. It's already very confusing. So descend refers to permanent cars going to the graveyard. That's what it means. Yes. And I guess anything that involves the graveyard and permanence, they're just like, yeah, just slap a descend on it and we'll call it good. And again, I think this is a mechanic that is easy to activate in modern. So it's a way to print cards that are never going to be overpowered in standard and pioneer because it's very hard to activate descend on curve, but effortless to do so in modern. So much like those cards that were reduced by types of lands you have in play, these effects can be printed very aggressively. Uh, the first card you have as an example is going to be maybe playable in modern. You know, I'm certainly not an expert, but basically unplayable everywhere else. So Stalactite Stalker. This is an example of a card that says, if you descended this turn, and that, that refers to any permanent card you control hitting the graveyard. Yeah, so discard, mill, or sacrifice a permanent from play. Stalactite Stalker. Black for a creature. 1-1 one, one, Goblin Rogue. Menace. At the beginning of your end step, if you descended this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on Stalactite Stalker. Activated ability two in a black, sacrifice Stalactite Stalker. Target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn, where X is Stalactite Stalker's power. Any card that says if you descended is going to be so much more powerful in modern, right? The fetch lands just make this happen, whereas in Pioneer, you really got to work for it. So let's just imagine in modern that we just have fetch lands, right? Like a zoo deck, heavy, heavy on the fetches. You play your Stalactite Stalker, comes in as a 1-1 Menace, you pray they don't Bowmasters you that turn, you make it to the end step, and you're safe with the plus one plus one counter. Now you've essentially got a 2-2 Menace for one. Uh, and it's going to grow every turn. It's hard to block. I think it's a fair expectation this will grow literally every turn. This seems all right to me, actually. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty good, right? It, it's, it's very Delver vibes. I like that it has Menace, actually. So even as a 2-2, it can attack into two open mana. And Bowmasters cannot get the free kill on this. Sure, it can do can ping it for one, but it can't just block with the one-one creature it makes mm. because of the menace. So it's basically impossible for Bowmaster to kill this um, in the early game. So you have a, a cheap card that's like Ragavan, but it gets more powerful as the game goes on. It dodges Bowmasters, and you know it attacks around Shieldred, which is a card we're seeing a lot of. And yeah, I mean. Would a one mana three three menace with no extra abilities be playable in modern? I I, I don't know. <laughs> well, here's my question: Imagine a one one for one that just grew by one every end step with no extra investment required. Right, just one one for one becomes a two two, becomes a three three, becomes a four four. There's a bunch of cards that do that if you work for it, but I'm just wondering if that if that baseline is already too weak. Yeah, I, I, it, as you're saying that, like, yeah, that just feels weak to me. And this extra ability doesn't seem to do anything. I do like that it gets plus one, plus one counters. So maybe if you're making an Agatha Soul Cauldron deck, this mm. is just a creature that's picking up those counters passively. It's providing a normal threat. And then, you know, all of a sudden you have a, um, uh, like, a scales in play. Maybe you have, maybe you're playing, um, you know, the, the, you can remove a plus one, plus one counter to do a damage or, you know, something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I always call it a, a maybe it's going to be an uphill battle for modern. Um, there is a goblins deck in modern, but I, weirdly, I don't think this fits there. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have any fetch lands. Exactly. Um, and it's not really looking to play wild in the cattle type cards. 
But it's definitely closer in modern than it is in Pioneer or or standard for that matter. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, so that is if you descended this turn. Now, what about the other descend effects? So descend four, descend eight, and fathomless descent. We'll start with fathomless descent. This counts the number of permanent cards in your graveyard. Okay, so descending means a permanent hitting the graveyard this turn. Fathomless descent just checks your graveyard and sees how many cards are there. Permanent cards. Permanent cards. So tell me about Souls of the Lost. Yeah, Souls of the Lost, one in a black creature spirit. As an additional cost to cast this spell, discard a card or sacrifice a permanent. Can be any permanent. Fathomless Descent, Soul of the Lost, power is equal to the number of permanent cards in your graveyard, and its toughness is equal to that number plus one. So it's a star, star plus one, sort of like a Tarmogoyf. It doesn't count both graveyards, it just counts your graveyard, but it counts all permanents. I mean, you're the Crabvine guy, Dan. Uh, I mean, I even had a note here. We were complaining about that blue-black adventure guy kind of being costed mm, inefficiently. Correct. This seems very aggressively costed. We can play it, sack a Citrus Supplier. That's a card you're already playing. Mm-hmm. We can play it, discard Vengevine. Get that out of your hand. You can play it in, like, reanimator shells that are just putting a bunch of cards in your graveyard. You discard your Gristlebrand or your whatever your Boom Boom is. I like that it doesn't die to rest in peace. I like that it doesn't die to dress down. Um, I like that you can just self-mill yourself with crab, which again is something that uh, crab vine's trying to do. So I, I think this seems just like very playable. Yeah, I think I'll just put four in and see what happens. Um, yeah, not having that weakness, not being a star star, but having that bonus toughness means that it will survive the endurance. It will survive the dress down. And that's huge. That's something that cruel somnophage didn't do. Uh, it's also in black, so I don't have to be fetching green for the Urbori Lorgoif. I know some people have had success with that. I have, I have not. This seems way better than the Urbori Lorgoif. So if that card is playable, this card seems way better to me. It's a slightly different role. So the Lorgoif had had two different roles. One, it could just be like a giant beater on turn two. Like if you happen to open on Hedron Crab into Lorgoif, you could convince yourself that you would kill them that way. This is like much bigger than that, right? Like it counts your lands, which is which is huge. Yes. That said, the Lorgoif is a also a late game top deck, right? It, it comes with like card advantage because you can kick it. Whereas this one, oh, it gets like pretty bad the later you go. There's a little bit of value to being able to like sacrifice a grave crawler late game or sack a citrus supplier late game, um, or if you got avenge vine clogged in your hand, you could discard it that way. Uh, that that happens quite a bit. So I wouldn't discount it. I think it's useful at every stage of the game. It's just freaking huge. But I'm not 100% sure that it like makes the deck better, I guess. It's a good card, but yeah. I have played a bunch of decks using the... <laughs> I'm trying to remember what it's called. One black, blue, green, the 3-3 three, three legend. And when it mills... It comes into play at Mill Street. If it mills a creature, you get a 2-2 two, two zombie. Oh, Sidisi. Yeah, Sidisi. I had built a deck with four Citrus Supplier on your recommendation, and then the um, the two black-green hybrid mana guy that could sack a creature and tutor a creature. Help me out. Black-green, black-green for a 1-1. One, one. It gets plus 1, plus 1 for each creature in your graveyard. Fiend Artisan. Fiend Artisan. Yes. Okay, so Fiend Artisan can tutor this, and then it's not being cast. You don't have to pay the cost, but it can sack the Citrus Supplier to get this, and then your Fiend Artisan is huge, and your Souls of the Lost is huge. So, yeah, I, I think I'm going to just rebuild that deck without any Sadisis and just way lower the ground. Uh, I, I think that deck's actually just going to be really good. Yeah, and if we didn't state it clearly, turn one, Citrus Supplier, turn two, Souls of the Lost, Sacrifice, Citrus Supplier. That right there is seven cards in the graveyard. 
the decks that we're describing are most likely entirely permanents. Like like Crabvine only plays eight non-permanents in the entire deck. And you're probably playing a fetch land on one of those two lands, so that's another one or two permanents. Yeah, in modern, that line is going to result in a nine power creature on turn two most of the time. Yeah, your creature is going to get solitude, but it's like nice to imagine a world yes. where <laughs> you did a thing for a while. Yes. But you paid mana for your creature, which is a terrible mistake. True, but I didn't pay mana for the prized amalgams and the venge vines and the narcomibas that are coming back. So Yes, exactly. Okay, so yeah, I, I am optimistic for this, for Crabvine. You, I wanted you to be more excited here. Uh, you're a little little sedated. You just, <laughs> Crabvine has hurt you too many times. <laughs> I'm just so used to the cards that are like, hey, put this in Crabvine, just being like depressingly nerfed in some way that I, I just, I don't believe it. I'm like a cat that's been kicked too many times. I mean, I think this card's going to be good. You don't have to play all the crappy Crabvine creatures. You can just play it as a Tarmogoyf-like card. Yeah, true. All right, so that is the Fathomless Descent. Uh, finally, there's Descend 4 and Descend 8. These just count how many permanent cards there are in your graveyard. So Coati Scavenger, 2 and a green, 3-2, Descend 4. A 3-2 Raccoon for 3. When it enters the battlefield, if you have 4 or more permanent cards in your graveyard, uh, you return target permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. So only dealing with permanents means that it's probably just not, it's not worth it. Yeah, you can't cast it on curve and get value out of it. This isn't even close. However, if you're willing to descend eight, you could have the Everflowing Well, two and a blue legendary artifact. When the Everflowing Well enters the battlefield, mill two cards, then draw two cards. So that's a divination plus a mill. Descend eight at the beginning of your upkeep. If there are eight or more permanent cards in your graveyard, you transform the Everflowing Well. So the front side just draws cards and sits there until you transform it, basically. When you transform yes. it, you unlock the Myriad Pools, a legendary artifact land that taps for a blue. It also says whenever you cast a permanent spell using mana produced by the Myriad Pools, up to one other target permanent you control becomes a copy of that spell until end of turn. So yeah, you can turn a land into a uh, Tarmogoyf or something. And normally the land would have haste because it's been in play right when you when you cast your Tarmogoyf. Or your black dude we just talked about. I forget what the card's called. Souls of the Lost. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> I love the templating on these where they flip. The land does something cool, but it's only on the spells that the land casts. So they've got mm. a curb. There's no infinite combo. It's just a cool value play. Yeah, spending mana for spells. Uh, who knew? That <laughs> was somehow important to Magic's gameplay. Yeah, li literally everything you were describing as being unbalanced in Modern is when they fuck with the mana system. Right? Yes. Cost reduction, cascading, fetches and triumphs, whatever. Just don't mess with that and you have a very solid game system. <laughs> but then you're not pushing the curve or whatever bullshit corporate nonsense Mark Rosewater always throws out. Indeed. Okay, so you're, I'm guessing, not high on Everflowing Well, but when I look at this... Well, I think it's flippable and modern. Very easy to flip. So then I just have to understand like what the next thing you're doing is. Oh, I'm just thinking blue-white control. You know, I'm playing Divination, and eventually I'll get an extra land out of this. And then what do you copy? Nothing. Just, you know, making, making mana. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, we don't normally cast a lot of sorcery speed divinations uh, in these parts. But used to. I mean, it's not that far off. It's Divination plus Mill 2. The Mill 2 is worth something. 
And then if you ever turn that into a land, you're golden, right? You're telling me you are. I don't know that I believe you. <laughs> okay, I guess what I'm saying is I don't want to build around the back half. I'm just going to treat that as a bonus island. The front half is like interesting enough that the bonus island is... I mean, drawing two, milling two is not worth a card. No, no card does that at sorcery speed in modern. I'm not talking about that modern. You'd want to For, play. Forget modern. Forget modern. We're talking about oh. Pioneer. Yeah. Oh, in Pioneer, yeah, I'm even less interested, but... It is interesting that it's an artifact. So you can play it in a bunch of like artifact matters ways or cards that tap for mana just for artifacts. But yeah, blue white control doesn't want this card. I don't know. I mean, there's that quick study deck playing all four copies. Yeah, that has flash. That's worth like a whole mana. <laughs> Mill two. Like I tap out to play this. I play shieldred. GG's. The game is over. I'm extending my right hand. How much do you think of draw two mill two is worth? There is no such card, right? At sorcery speed? <laughs> two mana. <laughs> two and a quarter mana. It's like it's almost like a factor fiction. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like a factor fiction, yes. I mean, you know it's good, it's legend it's legendary. It's like when I run like a twenty-eight minute five K and it's like <laughs> It's like, a, I ran like a 20 minute fuck. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the, the first number was a two. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, moving on. So that's Descend, Descend 4, Descend 8, and of course, Fathomless Descent. Next mechanic is called Discover. David, we've been compl complaining about Cascade for years, it seems like. They fixed Cascade. They finally fixed Cascade. Yeah, they had a whole thing about how Cascade has all these problems. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm hearing that. And then the thing that they explained was, oh, sometimes you hit a uh, removal spell and there's no creatures in play. So what if that just went to your hand? I was like, that's the problem with Cascade. Now, to be fair, they fixed the other problem, which was Cascade was a cast trigger. So counter spells are still very good against cards with Discover because it's just like a come into play ability. It's basically like a type of draw. The actual resolution of the, of the Discover effect works the same as Cascade even including the part about checking the mana cost. So they've, they've closed the Tibalt loophole in the Discover cards. The reminder text does not indicate that whatsoever, but when you look at the, the full rules text, it's, it's there. It says, oh, there's a special case. Yeah, if you're trying to cast the backside of an MDFC, you do have to check and make sure that its mana cost is lower than the Discover number on the thing you're um, Discover cascading with. So the example is Geological Appraiser, two red red, creature human artificer when geological appraiser enters the battlefield if you cast it discover three and it is a three two creature yeah so very similar to blood Raid elf which is a four mana three two that cascaded so functionally discover threed blood Raid is seeing play again in modern <laughs> in the beans deck you could play a 16 beans list if you wanted oh boy um in pioneer it's kind of interesting to decide if this or or blood Raid would be better you know, this being one color is actually an improvement. Doesn't have haste, though, so that's a negative. Uh, the discoverability is better on the stack, but cascade triggers on cast. It's a come-into-play effect, so like a fable, flip fable, can get this over and over again. I think all in all, this is probably a little bit weaker than Blood Braid in a format like Pioneer and way, way weaker in Modern. Being multiple colors actually matters since pitch spells are so important, uh, which is really sad, but that is the reality. 
like Omnath is actually valuable now because it can be pitched to multiple elementals more than all the text on it, which is also super powerful. They did. They did close the fable loophole as well. It says when it enters, if you cast it, you just. Oh, if you cast it. All right. Well, then that's even worse. Yeah. So it's a, it's a worse blood raid. Blood raid dominated standard, right? It it actually w- was way better than Jace, the mind sculptor. Uh, and now Jace is totally unplayable in modern, and blood raid is playable again. So I guess it has the last laugh, even in the long the long run. <laughs> I don't feel like counter spells are a, a serious presence in the metagame. I, I could be wrong about that. So I'm not like too worried about that aspect of the templating not being a cast trigger. Well, counterspells are going to come back because of the ever-flowing well <laughs> blue-white control shell that you just proposed. <laughs> Although you'll be tapped out, so I get to resolve my four drop anyway. <laughs> That's a tap-out control. It's a fair exchange. <laughs> tap-out, exactly. Yeah, come on. I milled two. You'll go over the top of the human artificer. I think this card is going to be very good in standard. Um, there's a lot of really good four drops, though. Like, if you're going to play red-black, you have, obviously, Shieldred. You have the rat maker guy who's pretty good. Um, I think you need to find the right blend of cards. It is so cool, I mean, in terms of wanting to play this card, that this doesn't whiff on removal, that you get to put it in your hand and wait for them to play cards. So this does give you more options, which I like. Um, But yeah, the random ability of these kind of things uh, and the way that, again, it's really the casting cost cheating that Wizards has created that makes makes the the cascade ability so good. You know, they re-templated how they cost... Fire Ice, so you can have all these two drops in your deck that shouldn't have any two drops, etc., etc. I feel like they managed to make Cascade super boring. Like, Discover is just, like, super boring. There's no choices involved. You just always get a card. It's just, like, draw a card and sometimes cast it for free. But they, they picked pretty high Discover numbers, so I think this is the cheapest Discover we've seen so far. There's, like, Discover 10 or whatever. Yeah. So you're not going to be building around, like, discovering into a sp- particular thing. Well, you never should have been able to do that. That that was a mistake. When they printed all these random, like, yeah. making Fire Ice a four-mana card is the problem. <laughs> the whole point is if, if you were actually having to do that and not get to play any two-drop and one-drop interaction, then you couldn't do these things. But because they made five-drop creatures that can be played for free and a six-mana enchantment that can be played for one, you get all this cheap interaction, which you shouldn't have that doesn't see the cascade. Okay. So pioneer it's decent value creature modern. It's decent value creature. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say unplayable in, in both or not unplayable. We'll not see much play in either. Yeah. I think it's just a little bit too much worse than some of the other options. Next mechanic is a returning mechanic explorer. And we see this on map tokens. So we talked about Kellen we got some new ones. New map makers, Spyglass Siren. Blue for a 1-1 Siren Pirate. 1-1 flying, when it enters a battlefield, create a map token. Map tokens are artifacts with pay one generic, tap, sacrifice the map, target creature you control, explores. Activate only as a sorcery. So that, that part is a bit of a bummer. I did not realize that at first. Nevertheless, the card Spyglass Siren is very exciting. Yeah, I mean, we've had a really good run, right, of one mana creature that makes the sets <laughs> value artifact token. Gilded Goose, uh, Thraben Inspector, Epicure. The Incubators were actually kind of shocking that they weren't actually very good. There's no value Incubator card that sees any play in Standard and certainly nothing in any other formats. 
Hopefully this is a return to the sort of incremental value that we love. We love playing games where Thraven Inspector and Voldar and Epicure matter. Um, the problem is, of course, map tokens are much weaker than, than clues or blood. And the fact that you can actually counter the ability by killing the creature means you don't even necessarily get value. It's not a good card tokens left after sweepers, for instance, if you don't have a creature to play. If they kill Spyglass Siren in response to you sacking the map, they actually are just up a full mana and not down a card. Um, so you, you have to be very conscious of that. And, and in that way, I think they've understood it. They've made the body on Spyglass Siren better than any of the other bodies we've seen. A 1-1 flying uh, is, is, is what you get for one mana. And this is just all upside. A relevant creature type. I, I think this card is really cool. A cool card in Ninja, you get another map token. I think it's really cool. I think it's also powerful, weirdly enough. For starters, it's game objects. We love those. What are you going to do with the game objects? Is this better than like Blood Fountain for our improvised decks? Is this better than Epicure for some of the Deadly Dispute decks? We'll see. The pirate creature type in this set seems to be triggering on artifacts coming into play. Um, so there's like a pirate ingenious smith we'll get to that I think this plays really, really well with. And we talked about breaches. I think breaches is actually one of the best cards in the set. As we see cheap pirates with some type of evasion, you just want them in play, right? And when breaches comes into play, you immediately get value. That's right. Yeah, breaches is the pirate pirate king at three mana. Yeah, three mana, three, three, first strike. And it triggers on when a pirate attacks, not breaches. So if you went this, there's a bunch of two drop pirates we can talk about into breaches. Mm-hmm. You can get a treasure. You can make one of your creatures unblockable. Um, exactly. And the treasures are key. You can sack your <laughs> map tokens. Exactly. But not at instant speed. Got to wait till combat's nope. over. Yes. Um, it, to be fair, though, you and I love cards like this. We so do. we tend to overrate them a little bit. Everyone else underrates them. Like, we were still playing Thraven Inspector in Modern, like, for a while <laughs> after the party was over. <laughs> I would say we properly rate them. Law 11 is very excited about this. and Well, his number one card in the last set was the black enchantment discard, and it hasn't, hasn't yet cracked the code on that. We'll just say oh. that. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. But yeah. I'm just saying, you and I are going to play the shit out of it. That doesn't mean it's going to be good. <laughs> it might be. We hope it is. So that's map tokens. Uh, two more new mechanics. Boy, there's so many. Tell me about finality counters. Finality counter is basically just something that we used to almost have a term for it, but it wasn't like uh, formalized in a specific mechanic. But when a creature comes back from the graveyard under certain effects, it gets this counter. And if it would die with that counter on it, exile it instead. Now it's different from some of these other effects. You can blink it to get rid of the finality counter. You can remove the finality counter if you have you know, various effects that do that. So the example we have here, again, a shit ton of text, Tarion's Journal, one in a black legendary artifact, tap, sacrifice another artifact or creature, draw a card, activate only as a sorcery, very important. Two mana, tap, discard your hand, transform Tarion's Journal. It transforms into a legendary land cave. It taps for black or tap, you may cast a creature spell from your graveyard this turn. If you do, it enters the battlefield with a finality counter on it, and it's of a vampire in addition to its other types. So this prevents you from being able to cast the same creature over and over again. Yeah, and the finality counter is the least interesting part of this card by far. 
Yeah, I think it's just a good example of, of how they're doing it. You, you can imagine how miserable this would be if they could just like recast the same Sakura Tribe Elder or something, right? In, in, in a game. Like you could just never attack them and you get infinite value every time. I can see why finalities are useful for the game. It's just, well, I, I think that is a very niche rare effect and I'm just surprised that they're making this a deciduous semi-returning mechanic. But it is what it is. Yeah, this isn't that different than exiling the creature from the graveyard and putting a copy of it into play. True. I mean, it's a little different because, again, the counter lets you do a few things. You can eat the counter. You can blink the creature. You can't do that with the... But it's, it's, it's functionally similar in most ways. Finality counters aside, Tarion's journal looks freaking awesome. Just that first line, tap, sack, an artifact or creature, draw a card. Does that even exist anywhere? I don't believe so. They, there's actually, there's a few cards that sacrifice specifically creatures or artifacts. Uh, and, and it's kind of exciting space. As we just talked about, there's a lot of cards that give us a creature and an artifact. <laughs> so this can just slowly chew through them and turn them into fodder for our uh, grand designs. Exactly. I mean, it's not even, it's not even like you have to dip into unplayable cards. Like what if Blood Tithe Harvester just always drew a card? Right. Epicure is now worth two cards. It is sorcery speed, so you don't have to worry about always going card down when you try to fatal push something. There's, there's that small mercy at least, but it seems like very, very easy to turn this into a howling mine. You know, sack your experimental synth, we're always looking for things to do that. We used to try to talk ourselves into Oni Cult Anvil as a way to just get rid of the synthesizer. Well, a great way to get rid of the synthesizer is to just draw a card off of it, and then you get another card. Like It, it becomes insane. Yeah, I could also imagine this is like a one of in red black sacrifice. Um, it's a free sack effect. You don't eventually you can even, you know, if you get into the late game, you can flip it and just start casting devils from your graveyard, uh, which is like kind of the card that finishes your opponent off. The like first and second abilities have a lot of tension. Like I just imagine playing this card kind of for the first ability, which fills your hand <laughs> when then I don't want to discard it to transform it. Uh, but you could also build a deck that doesn't really care to sacrifice anything and is really focused on discarding your hand to transform the journal so i I like that this card can kind of go in two different kinds of decks it doesn't have to go in a small ball deck like we're describing you could play it with like riel flip your whole hand double your hand size uh and then you also get this land that lets you play the any creatures you discarded from the graveyard so you think you would just be a one of a recto sec i was thinking you would play like a bunch of copies well, it's legendary. You already have Deadly Dispute, which is, I think, just a better card, honestly, on on average. I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> well, Deadly Dispute can dodge removal. This can never do that. This is also another artifact, so this gets colded by Karn, which is kind of like the <laughs> the boogeyman for Red Black Sack. Mm. But Deadly Dispute requires you to just like commit two mana to it every time, whereas this is just free. I'm, I'm just shocked there's no mana activation on this. Yeah, I mean, I think this card is good. I, I, I'm predicting Red Black Sack does not play that many of these, if, if it adopts it at all. Like every time the Fable of the Mirror Breaker goes off, if that goblin makes any number of treasures, the treasures are now actual cards. It's a disaster for you if they, if they have this up and running. I think this is super powerful. I think you should just build around this as a four of. Well, I mean, you might be right. That would really surprise me. So you'd make, you'd make Red Black Sack way slower, but maybe that's what they need to be doing. Mm. We'll have to see. I th- it certainly is like a card that people should be thinking about, should be putting in decks. You don't have to play it in existing decks. You can, you can build new decks around it. Mm. 
Yeah, and everything I'm saying is just just the first ability, right? Converting creatures and artifacts into cards. So you've got you've got other plans too. You're like, what about the second ability? Discarding your hand. What about the backside? Um, there's a lot you can do with this. The fact that it has other abilities makes me think that that first ability isn't as powerful as we're suggesting it is. Mm. But like you say, we've never seen this card before. Um, having to do it on your turn is also tough. We'll have to see. I, we, it's one of those cards I think when you play it, it'll be either way better than you think or way worse. And that, that's the beauty of spoiler season. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Okay, so that is finality counters. Finally, the last new mechanic is not properly a mechanic, but a new subtype called caves. We're in the lost caverns of Ixalan, deep in the, the center of the earth. We got a cycle of caves, most of them common, some of them uncommon and rare, and then we have a few cards that go find caves. Or like a caves matter type deck. We'll start with those, I think, because that, that will give us some context for how much the cave subtype actually matters when we get to the lands. Spelunking. Two and a green. Enchantment. When Spelunking enters a battlefield, draw a card, then you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. If you put a cave into play this way, you gain four life. In addition to all of that, lands you control enter the battlefield untapped. The joke there is that all, all the caves come into play tapped. Right? So this undoes the cave drawback, but it, it works with any land that comes into play tapped. So Lotus Field comes to mind immediately. Yeah, I mean, th this is just an expensive growth spiral. Uh, I'm the last growth spiral supporter. So yeah, I'm very interested in this card. Um, I don't even know if you have to play that many caves. I'd play like one or two. They aren't very good. The four life doesn't matter to me at all. The drawing a card and getting to play all these other lands untapped. You can play your um, shock lands tapped and just not pay the life. Mm. And they also come into play untapped. You don't have to pay any any life. That's really nice in the late game. Um, all of your fast lands, you can max out on all your fast lands, all the creature lands. You know, so Den of the Bugbear comes into play untapped after this is in play. Yeah, I just, I think this card is really good. Four life is a lot. Four life is a significant chunk. So I, I am, I'm tempted by the caves deck. Having said that, I'm sure they costed it to be competitive and standard, but these days that's not that much worse than Pioneer. I mean, I wouldn't play no caves, but like you just have a couple caves in your hand and at some point you might get four life. What do you make of the Lotus Field lines? Awesome. I mean, Lotus Field, the combo deck that we hate, um, probably will not play this card. But, you know, right now, like control decks play that terrible one three and then Lotus Field. You can now you can play Gross Spiral plus this. Uh, and just play like a normal deck. You don't even have to play a control list, really. Like, you don't have to play Teferi. You could just play the red. You could play like a, a teamer list. Um, I, I just think there's a bunch of different ways you can go with it. I, I'm pretty excited. So on turn three, in the past, all you could do was play your Lotus Field and pass. But now it's like turn three, I play Spelunking. I draw a card. With my extra land drop, I put Lotus Field into play untapped. I sack two lands. And now I just have my Lotus Field untapped. And it's like, I was mana neutral, card neutral. It seems very powerful. Yeah, you can play the, the red enchantment as well, like with this. So now you have all these effects that mean your Lotus Field basically doesn't ever go down mana. It just, I think there's a lot of, a lot of things you can do with this. Okay, so that's Belunking. Uh, one other Caves Matter card, Cosmium Confluence. 
four and a green sorcery. Choose three, you may choose the same mode more than once. The three modes are search your library for a cave card, put it onto the battlefield tapped, then shuffle. That's the one that I'm going to be choosing, preferably three times. But there's two other options. The second option is put three plus one plus one counters on a cave you control. It becomes a zero zero elemental creature with haste and remains a land. And the third mode is destroy an enchantment. Um, so the, the baseline, I think, is for five mana, you triple Rampant Growth. But not quite Rampant Growth, it's more like an Hour of Promise, right? Because these caves have special abilities. So you're getting three specialty lands off of this and triple Ramping at the same time. If Spelunking is in play, they come into play untapped. So it's like you paid five, but you got three back right away. Yeah, I mean, I think the, <laughs> the fail case is uh, you make a 6-6 six, six that ramped once. So very similar to the 5-6 Cavalier with extra flexibility to do the other things. I don't know why we want to go from five to eight mana. Oh, so you think it's more likely to just... Well, it's both, right? It's so exciting. Well, you could, well, that's the point. You can do everything. I just... You said the base case is to triple ramp on turn five. That, that, would, that would surprise me if that was the play. Well, why not? I mean, the caves are all worth a lot of stuff, especially the, the discovery cycle, which we'll get to in a second. I, I lock in my value if I get lands, whereas if I just put counters on things, they can erase that with removal. Yeah, just in general, you can't just tap out for five mana and not affect the board. Like you're locking in your value for next turn. I just, you're, you're just such an optimist. <laughs> well, I'm, first of all, I'm not tapping out because I have Spelunky in play. So I get my three mana back. Second of all, if I need to, I can destroy an enchantment. If I need to, I can make a creature. Well, you're going to need to. <laughs> Let me just give you a little <laughs> spoiler alert. You're going to want a creature in play at the end of spending five mana. It maybe you only want it to be a 3-3, so you can double ramp. Hmm. All right, well. This is a card that is, like, interesting but not playable without Spelunking. With Spelunking, it becomes much more interesting. So, like, can you build a Spelunking deck is the, is the next question. And then how many caves do you want? I'm going to be exploring this, but, yeah, the jury's out. we got to see what, what the cave options are. Speaking of... Uh, we've finished the mechanics section of the cast. <laughs> Boy, there's a lot of mechanics. Uh, now we're just going to run through, in our customary fashion, the rest of the set. And that means starting with the lowest mana costs. Right away, we've got a bunch of caves. David, do you want to talk about the hidden cycle? Yeah, so there's a the hidden cycle. They all come into play tapped. They all tap for their individual color. So one taps for blue, one taps for white, one taps for black. They all have four and a color, so four and a blue tap, sacrifice, four and a white tap, sacrifice. Discover four, activate only as a sorcery. So for five mana and sacking your land, you get a four mana or less random card, uh, random effect chosen from your deck. Maybe the best co common lands of all time. Are these common? <laughs> I believe so, yeah. If, if common, <laughs> maybe the best common lands of all time. <laughs> Discover four. I think it's one of these mechanics where if you have not built the deck planning to discover, like the bigger the number is actually a drawback, right? Because you trick yourself into thinking it must be worth five mana, but you're just going to get like your one mana play or something. Well, you can get a one mana play. At least this gives you the option to sometimes hit Shieldred or whatever, Wrath of God, if you're in your blue-white deck. Right. Superficially, I thought they were similar to the Highway Lands at first, um, but that turned out to not be the case. So... It's more like just sack to draw a card and maybe cast something. Hmm. Hopefully cast. I like that it triggers push. Um, so you, you get the most powerful version of push that you want. 
If you're playing cards like the end, if you're playing four mana sweepers, you have lots of hits. Um, I, of course, love this with the tortoise, which reduces the cost and gets it back on the next attack. Mm -hmm. uh, this can hit the tortoise, which is kind of cool. So I think we assume this, these will not see play as just like random value one-offs because they come in the play tapped and they don't fix. Uh, so the decks we'd be looking at are dedicated build-around decks. That could be a caves deck where, you know, maybe I want a few of these for my Cosmium Confluence to get. Well, you'll need these, right? You'll need to play uh, several of these. Yeah, perhaps. Right? I don't know how many caves I need for that deck, but I imagine a good number of them will be these lands. Well, you at least want three because that's your target is to, to find three of them. And, and if you draw one of them, so you, you need four probably minimum. Yes. The blue one, the Hidden Cataract, is also a special interest because of the Enigma Jewel, because of Woman Hawker. Uh, I guess the green one is also interesting because of Blossoming Tortoise. But I could imagine that my Enigma Jewel deck and Omen Hawker deck also just like maxed out on Hidden Cataracts just to get more juice into there. I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess my concern there is you have a lot of bad hits like another Enigma Jewel uh, or Omen Hawker. <laughs> I mean, we're playing seven or eight effects that uh, are, are spending five mana and sacking a land for is, is pretty tough. I just don't know if there's a way around that. I, I don't know. Well, we don't have to play Hidden Cataract. That's, it's very easy to dodge. We can play one of the many other lands that generate value um, that aren't this card. True. Okay, so another cave option, Cavernous Maw. A land that's a cave. This one, interestingly, does not come into play tapped. That's very surprising. So it just taps to add a colorless. And then somewhat similar to Mutavolt, you can pay two to turn this into a 3-3 elemental creature until the end of the turn that remains a cave. You can only do this if you have three total caves in play and in your graveyard. So, Cosmium Confluence, right? You get your one Cavernous Maw, you can drop additional counters on it, and now you have the option to make a 6-6 that way. Plus, you still get, you know, two other... Let's say you get one Discovery Land, one Cavernous Maw, and then put three counters on there. So you got two lands and a 6-6. Six, six. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the only way it's going to see play. I, exactly the line you outlined. Mm. I, on rate, this is so much worse than Mutavolt. You just can't play it as a normal card. But as, as a payoff for one of your five mana cards, then yeah. Early game is just like not even an option because you have to have three caves before this does anything. Yeah, I, I mean, it, they can also be in your graveyard. So again, the tortoise milling, making this cheaper, making this bigger. I think that's a place where it might have a home in standard. It's actually like quite good. With Tortoise, a one mana four four. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. Moving down the caves, Pit of Offering is a, a specialty cave. It's a little bit of graveyard hate and mana fixing mixed together. So this one does enter the battlefield tapped, but when it enters, you exile up to three target cards from graveyards. So any graveyards, yours, theirs, your choice. Then it taps for a colorless, or it taps to add one mana of any color among the exiled cards. So it's like a little bit of a I was going to say Bojukabog. I guess that's not really true. This is an EDH Bojukabog that anyone can use. True. It also allows your Cosmium Confluence to clean up a little bit of the mess in the graveyards. Um, and maybe maybe provide fixing it. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> All right. What's next in our Cosmium Con <laughs> Confluence deck, Dan? Next up is the Sunken Citadel. I'm glad you asked. Sunken Citadel. Cave that enters the battlefield tapped. This one... You choose a color when it comes into play, and then it taps for the chosen color. So it's kind of a mana fixer. It's like not that far off of Fable Passage. 
Then it has that. I was gonna say that fast and move on. Um, <laughs> then it has a second ability. <laughs> tap, add two mana of the chosen color. Two mana of the color you chose, but this mana can only be used to activate abilities from a land source. Even more restrictive than Enigma Jewel. This one is only gonna pay for like activating your other caves. However, you can also use that to activate your Nykthos. You can use it to activate your Field of Rune. I believe that you can activate Odawaras from hand. I'm not 100% sure about that. I think the phrase land source includes lands in your hand. So you could cycle a Triumph with this. Or uh, cycle an, uh, a dual land. There's cycling dual lands for the ally uh, pairs. Correct, yes. So I don't know. I mean, that's is that enough for you to treat this as a soul land? A two-mana land? <laughs> no. <laughs> this card is not even consideration for me. No? I, I, I can't imagine putting this in my deck. I... I, I <laughs> we've had 20 minutes on this Cosmium Confluence deck I'm really interested to see what it looks like <laughs> you actually have to play a league with this though not just keep explaining to me how I should be playing a league with it <laughs> so you're saying that a land that taps for two is of no interest to you they have done a very good job restricting what I can do with this mana and the land comes into play tapped which is a huge cost uh, so no I'm not of interested in this alright fair enough Speaking of lands that come into play tapped, we have some non-caves. Are you interested in non-caves, David? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it seems like this Cosmium Confluence deck is taking over. Why even play non-cave lands? <laughs> I gotta stay on brand, right? I mean... Yeah, I didn't realize the brand. We're a, we're a cave podcast now. It's Cave Dan, the host of the Cave Podcast. Yeah, like, you know yeah, I was gonna talk enough. about okay. this. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> I've been waiting decades for this yeah, mechanic. Yeah, finally, yeah. Just let me have this, all right? <laughs> Cave theme deck is on. Exactly. Well, hopefully Cosmium Confluence just becomes broken and standard, and then you can uh, lord it over me every week, like, oh, as I was trying to tell you. Cave Dance Confluence, exactly. Yes. All right. Restless Prairie. So the allied cycle of creature lands. Um, so this comes into play tap, taps for a green and a white Two, a green and a white. It becomes a 3-3 green and white llama creature until end of turn. It's still a land. Whenever Restless Prairie attacks, other creatures you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn. So pretty powerful, actually, especially in, we could imagine, Coco decks that go pretty wide. You know, this is attacking, let's say, as a 3-3 that pumps three or four other creatures. That's adding a lot of power to the board. Maybe Angels. I'm trying to think of what other green-white decks there are. It would have to be a deck that's okay playing a tap land, and those decks tend to not be decks that fill the board with creatures. Yes. So yeah, it'd be like a slower token-focused strategy, I'm guessing. But it's very interesting. I will say the one thing I learned in some of my tortoise testing is that Ren and Realmbreaker, when it makes a creature a land, only these new creature lands are templated so it gets the ability. So if Ren and Realmbreaker makes this a 3-3, then it gets to attack and give everything plus one, plus one. But the D&D &D lands don't have that templating. The creature that they become when you activate them gets those abilities. Oh. So this is very cool with Ren and Realmbreaker, I guess is what I'm short story long. Uh, you get a 3-3 three, three just for plusing your Planeswalker that's hexproof and vigilant. And then when it attacks, it pumps, you know, maybe one other creature, and that might just be enough. That's intriguing. Okay, so yeah, there's a few other effects like that that just turn lands directly into creatures. Yeah, there's one with a bargain. There's like a green sorcery that like fetches a basic. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you bargain, you turn a land into a, a creature. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Lana Ward Loam Speaker, I think, does it too. Cosmium Confluence can uh, pump your restless prairie. Precisely. Spelunking is in play, so we're all good there. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, so I, this this ability is very powerful. We have seen the white land, the white desert sack itself to give plus one plus one to all creatures until end of turn. This does that for the exact same mana cost, but it gets to attack as a 3-3. Three, three. Yeah. Not a fair comparison, of course. <laughs> it comes to play tap, though, which is, as you say, is a real cost. Yeah. Looks like they're finishing the cycle. So the red-green is Restless Ridgeline. Enters the battlefield tapped, taps red or green. Two red-green to make the Restless Ridgeline a 3-4 dinosaur. Whenever Restless Ridgeline attacks, another target attacking creature gets plus two plus zero until end of turn, and you untap that creature. So this is your only attacker, the, that Ren and Realmbreaker Lion is only going to get you a 3-4. But if you have anything else, you're getting the 3-4 plus 2 extra power. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, so what what can we do with that? That's really interesting. Um, I wasn't planning to like build around it. I just thought it'd be like a nice bonus, <laughs> making your Llanowar Elf into more of a threat. But maybe that's not thinking big enough. Yeah, I can't think of anything right now, but that's really fascinating to me. Because like, let's say you had a Vigilance creature with a tap ability. Mm. Then you could attack with a vigilant creature, tap it, untap it with this, and then tap it again. Is there something that does? Uh, we'd have to look at it. Well, there's that sunbird that you're about to sell me on in a little bit. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, there it is. <laughs> we just did it. <laughs> okay. All right, so we'll come back to that in a minute. Then finally, we have the blue-white member of the cycle, Restless Anchorage. ETB tapped, taps for blue or white. One white blue makes the Restless Anchorage a 2-3 bird with flying. Whenever Restless Anchorage attacks, create a map token. Interesting. Yeah, I, I think this is the best one, although I, I think all three of the ones we just talked about are all pretty good, honestly. Um, this synergizes with Omenhawker very well, mm. which both activates this for very cheap if we want to attack with it. Omenhawker sacks the map token for... One, it's colorless ability. We can also use the artifact that you just described, although it's not quite as good with the activation of the land. So we can pump up the Omenhawker. We can pump up this land after combat, so it's even bigger. I just think there's a lot, a lot happening there. I definitely play like a one of or two of these in a blue-white Omenhawker list to be determined later. <laughs> My only hesitation is that Omenhawker is already going to have a bunch of tapped caves in the deck. We know that's happening. <laughs> so we can't play too many of these. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, that's why we get to play the the jewel, so we we aren't leaning too much on our omen hawkers. We've just got all this colorless ability flowing. Yeah, this seems priced to move. Uh, omen hawker makes it very exciting. Do not be fooled like I did. I, I was thinking that you could just sack the map right away during combat. That's not the case. Sorcery speed only. So you have to wait till after combat. But I mean, a map is potentially a full card. So this is a lot of advantage on on a land. Potentially. And and I think like maps and non-black colors are a little more intriguing since you don't have to like the tension of not being able to trigger fatal push. It doesn't like haunt you as much. You just like whenever you're looking for value, you just go for it. Yeah. All right, David, so much for the lands. We move on. All right. We are in super thematic uh, Central American territory here with the doomsday calendar. One mana. Trinket Mageable, uh, <laughs> Sagaable, Legendary Artifact. 
Whenever one or more permanents become untapped during your untap step, very important, put that many time counters on Doomsday Calendar. Two mana tap double the amount of time counters on Doomsday Calendar. When there are 1,000 or more time counters on Doomsday Calendar, sacrifice it and each opponent loses 1,000 life. <laughs> that reminds me of the Futurama where like Morbo insists he's going to raise the temperature of the Earth 100 degrees a day for five consecutive days. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> Until you give us McNeil, we will raise the temperature of your earth 100 degrees a day for five consecutive days. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so if your opponent survives a thousand life, they're pretty sturdy. You got to kind of tip your cap. <laughs> so this was part of uh, Mark Rosewater's little teaser that he does. Astonishing line of text. I thought it was just going to be a throwaway text, but now that I'm seeing the card, I'm like, sure, why not? I would say wait till you get about 25 time counters on it before you start pouring mana into this. It's it's not that far off of like suspend I don't know. Suspend 12 on turn 1, suspend 6 in the mid game to win the game. So there's a famous story of the guy who allegedly invented chess and presented it to the sort of Indian king. And the king was very happy with the game of chess and said, "What do you want as a reward?" I I love this. So he said, what I want is you either hear a grain of rice or a, mm -hmm. a shaft of wheat and put on the first square, and then I'd like you to double it. So what happens is by the time you get, as people who understand geometric progressions, by the time you kind of get to the end of the second or third row, the king was having to bring in <laughs> whatever, load truckloads of grain and, and couldn't complete it. So if you look at that progression, which is very famous, the 10th square... So the second in the second row is when you cross 1,000. I think you get to 1,024. So that's how many times you have to double it basically is 10. Uh, although you naturally get that 1, 2, and 4 probably without having to double it. I mean, you can get a bunch without having to double it, right? Like whenever one or more permanents, so... Yeah, the fact that it's only during your untap step when you can get it means that the super combo-y things you can do don't like actually... like You can't put infinite counters on it with some of these other... All right, so I guess the question for me is, like, would you play a card that was just one mana suspend, pick a number, and then it wins the game? No, probably not. Okay, just because a card like that doesn't contribute anything to the board? Yeah, and this card doesn't even do that because it can be very easily interacted with at any point. You can portable hole it, you can call against command it, you can brazen borrow it back to your hand. Fair enough. Do you want to go for something like... All will be one or soul diviner. We're just accumulating a shit ton of counters on this trigger stuff. All will be one is interesting. That that that's the most interesting card I've seen or heard mentioned. That I mean, I'm an all will be one believer though, so you don't have to <laughs> twist my arm too much. <laughs> maybe you could also do something where you're like, although if you're generating infinite mana, maybe it's easy to win. But where you're just like doubling this multiple times a turn. With the like five man artifact that untaps everything or something. Oh yeah. So if this is going straight into the Enigma Jewel Omenhawker deck. Is, is there a an effect that untaps artifacts? Yeah, the four mana Teferi who sees a sunset, you could untap this, untap the one of the many creatures that taps for two mana to trigger this. Okay. So you could do it twice a turn. Why not? You can try it. <laughs> we, we haven't named too many cards that stop your opponent from playing the game of Magic, uh, but uh, maybe they'll enjoy it as much as you will. <laughs> kind of let you do your thing. They'll be chill. 
All right, on to some real cards. We got a bunch of new one drops, and the first one here is one that you're pretty high on. Yeah, simple. Classic. One green mana for a 1-1 Merfolk Scout. When it enters the battlefield, it explores. So we had a bevy of two-mana explorer creatures in the last set. We had a two-mana 2-1 two that was green. We had a two-mana 1-2 two that was black. They ended up being better than the rare, which was one green-green 2-1 green, that explored twice. Um, this cuts a power, but cuts a whole mana off. This card is, is borderline insane, I think. It's a one-mana Elvish Visionary, or it's a one-mana 2-2 two, two that surveils one. Your favorite ability in the world. That's it. That's all you need to know. I'm going to put this card in almost every deck. Green has had basically no decks that aren't playing Mana Elf on turn one. This is the kind of card that can, like, you can build a mid-range deck around this. I'm just struggling to imagine these decks. Like, I can't think of a single deck. Well, I already 5-0'd with a black-green mid-range list <laughs> two weeks ago. Yeah, but th this card would not make the cut in that deck. Well, not in that specific deck. We have to get, dig deeper here. Because the one mana 2-2 two, two is actually a disaster, isn't it? No. But what are you going to do with a one mana 2-2? Two, two? I am going to often turn it sideways <laughs> during the combat step. <laughs> and it's going to help me find what I want on the top of my deck. If, it's, if the card that I want is on top, then I leave it there. I just thought we had entered the era where two power creatures for one have to like really prove themselves. So we really need something very synergistic with... The rest of the card and i grant that i i love surveil so i'm in for that i'm in for the graveyard stuff i'm in for drawing lands uh you've you've tantalized me with this idea that we can use the plus one plus one counters or something and maybe the merfolk tribe is just enough to make this a big enough beater but i, I kind of feel like if it's not exactly a merfolk deck where it gets pumped by you know mist walker or whatever that thing is called then it's just gonna be too small yeah we'll have to see hmm. Worth noting that there, there is a new card that combos with Wild Growth Walker. When David says the last set he's talking about, how many years ago was that now? <laughs> Six years ago? Five years ago? Well, the last Ixalan set. Yeah, there were some cards there that trigger whenever a creature explores, and Wild Growth Walker yes. was the best of those. Well, we haven't seen yet if there's going to be another card like that in this set, but Cenote uh, Scout would certainly be in that deck. All right, on to the next card. Oh, you want to talk about this one? All right. This name can't be right, but it says a bat. Wow. <laughs> uh, a translation from, is that Chinese? Uh, simplified Chinese, yeah. Simplified Chinese, yeah. 1-1 one, one flying lifelink at the beginning of your end step. If you descended this turn, scry one. You think this card is good in modern? Well, descend, right? Descending is a thing that happens in modern and does not happen in pioneer. I imagine with a fetch land, but yeah, this will just be happening in modern. And if, if I had a one drop that's scryed every turn, I would be very interested in that. The only bummer is that it just doesn't have that second toughness. These days you need two toughness in, in modern and this doesn't have it. So it's like a near miss for me, but I just want to acknowledge that scrying one every turn is extremely powerful and generous for a one drop. Not as good as surveilling, but we'll take it. <laughs> Which we just described the one one that was going to always surveil. <laughs> It always surveil once. This one does it every turn. That is dead. It's going in the graveyard. Just put it in there. I don't, I'll put discard a card at random from my hand. <laughs> well, if it's dead, we can go to the next card here, which yes. brings it straight back from the graveyard. <laughs> yeah, helping hand. Sorcery, one white mana. Return target creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. 
So we finally have the one mana bring back creature with value three or less. They've been printing better and better versions of the two mana uh, version, often in white in more recent sets. Of course, in modern, the black effect has existed forever. A black um, sorcery that brings back a three or less and has cycling, so it's even better. And the creature doesn't come into play tapped. This is the quote-unquote nerf version of that. We won't discuss it in modern. No reason to do that. But in Pioneer, this seems very, very interesting. So the closest equivalent in Pioneer is two mana. This Can't Stay Away, which has flashback. And then there's Return Triumphant, which puts some kind of role, young hero, on the creature. Young hero role. And there's one that puts a plus one, plus one counter. Hmm. This being one mana cheaper makes it very attractive, but coming into play tapped is kind of a bummer, isn't it? Like, it means you can't crew with Grease Fang. It means you can't do the Storm Herald kill. Yeah, I mean, those decks suck. I, I, I don't care to, like, I'm glad this is, like, a card that supports, like, some problem solving as opposed to just going in existing shells. So, yeah, it's a bummer to people who just want to play the same decks over and over again, but <laughs> I don't care about those people. <laughs> so are you envisioning this just being a value play or do you think there's some combo you want to I'm envisioning support? putting Monastery Mentor back into play for one mana. Oh. With a bunch of mana up and going to absolute town. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> All right. And I realized that Monastery Mentor actually works really well with Bargain. Okay. All right. We're getting somewhere. So that's, that's, that's where we're headed. Okay. Next card up, Jade Light Spelunker. It's X and a green 1-1 one, one Merfolk Scout. It explores X times when it comes into play. I just mentioned this because I think you just said a minute ago that the Jade Light Ranger was worse than the two drops. I don't remember that being the case. I remember the Jade Light Ranger being fairly important, for at least for standard. Um, it was a fairly expensive card. Yeah, in standard, in standard it was better, but in the older sets, actually, the cheaper cards were better, as you often point out. <laughs> I just don't remember the older cards being good enough at all for Pioneer, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, they were bad. <laughs> Jade Light Ranger was even worse. <laughs> so I feel like in this day and age, at three mana exploring twice, at two mana exploring once, at four mana exploring three times, I'm interested in all these things. I'm not convinced they're actually good enough. I think at this point we need like an actual X spell payoff to make this like exciting. Yeah, I mean, th this this card seems really poor to me. Um, at, at every mana cost that you just described, it seems weaker than existing options. At one mana, obviously, we've got a way better Merfolk. At two mana, we've got a better one. At three mana, we've got a better one. We can just fill our deck with those cards that are better at the right point. So exactly like you said, Dan, we need an X Matters card or an infinite mana combo or something, and this is like a payoff. If they do give us a second card similar to Wild Growth Walker that says whenever you explore, do something then maybe this gets very exciting because you would just explore five times at once with this. That'd be cool. But we'll wait and see on that. Yeah. All right, we move on to the two drops. Bartolome del Presidio. And that's not a translation. That's, his, that's just his name. Bartolome del Presidio. Black-white, legendary vampire knight. 2-1 creature. Sacrifice another artifact or creature to put a plus one plus one counter on Bartolome del Presidio. That's not restricted by timing. That can happen at instant speed. That's not restricted to once a turn. So, kind of surprising. 
Yeah, they've been really, really chintzy with this effect, and they finally just gave us a card that does it all. Add instant speed, multiple permanents, exactly like the um, the legendary black artifact, although it can do it any time their end of turn in response to a, sh- a shock. It's a vampire knight. Those are vaguely relevant types. The vampire uh, type is, is good. The knight has some minor synergies. I think this card is awesome. It just seems super powerful to me. Um, there's a bunch of different shells I want to try it out in. Uh, it, it just seems great. So you, you make a note here that Cartel Aristocrat and Woe Strider are the cleanest options for freeze repeatable sacrifice currently in Pioneer. But is there a shell around those? Like, I don't remember Cartel Aristocrat being like close to anything. I guess like Rally the Ancestors maybe. Yeah, there was a Rally the Ancestors deck in the earlier days of the format that would probably be in like every other 5-0 dump. I think this just lets you play like a, a, a little bit more fair. Like you can just play an exp- extraction specialist list mm. and you can always have a creature in play. Extraction specialist gets this. Mm-hmm. It can sack extraction specialist in response to removal. So then it, now this is a 3-2. I actually want to play this like brought back. Interesting. Because um, we can control all that stuff now in a white black shell. You can play the like the 1-1 one, one lifelink uh, vampire that comes back as a 5-5. Five, five. Now you have an easy way to put it in the graveyard. They can't quote-unquote ignore it, as you uh, always like to tell me. Um, this works again with brought back and that and Extraction Specialist. It works really good with, like in the shell we were just describing, with the Monastery Mentor, if there's a bunch of creatures lying around. If you had a, a deck where you're stealing permanence. Yeah, I want to say it's best in class for two-mana repeatable sack outlets. I'm actually not 100% sure that it's better than the Cartel Aristocrat just because if you need a sack outlet, you need it to be alive and this guy can still just die. But it's extra copies, so like now you're you're always going to have your vampire the sacks things. No, you're not. So excuse me, that's a, that's a human. Um, this guy's a vampire, the Cartel Aristocrat's a human. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's, it's always exciting to get these new tools, so we'll see what comes from it. Next up, a Deep Root Pilgrimage. One in a blue enchantment. Whenever one or more non-token merfolk you control become tapped, create a 1-1 one, one blue merfolk creature token with hexproof. I love this card. I think it's really good. Um, they've got a lot of like build-around enchantments in this set, and they're like unusually, I think, well, I might be wrong, playable. Two Kiora's followers go infinite with this. You make infinite 1-1s. One, mm. And... You can use Agatha Soul Cauldron to give Kiora's followers ability to something else. And then you can play Tyvar in that shell, which both fills your graveyard, helps find the Kiora's follower, untaps your extra merfolks. Uh, you get to play with your scout that I just described. Scout into this just makes... Uh, it's the only playable one-mana merfolk. It immediately makes another one. The scout comes possibly with an extra plus one, plus one counter on it, so it works with the cauldron. I just think that... And, like, while you're not... Comboing, you're just making all these 1-1 Merfolk. You can play the Merfolk Lord if you like. Um, it does have an activated ability. I just think that deck is going to be really good. So you're envisioning that you have the Kiora's follower, two Kiora's followers as your ultimate kill condition, and you just kind of muck up the ground with deep pilgrimage tokens in the meantime? Yeah, but like you can win without that. Like You could, let's say you have deep root pilgrimage in play, you could attack with your creature untap a uh, permanent cast tyvar untap your 2-2 cures follower tap it again to untap your something else and you've just made like two or three merfolk then you like play the lord 
Uh, and I all see. of a sudden, you, you like you can win games without the combos. I guess what I'm saying. Oh, okay. You're just going to naturally make a couple of merfolk. So, so you have like this is a two mana card in your tribal deck that is really good against what red and black tries to do, right? Which is just kill all your creatures. So it's like, well, you're just making a bunch of creatures all the time. Right, and they have hexproof, hexproof tokens. Yes. And so once you get a Lord in play, you can put your plus one, plus one counters, or even without the Lord, you can put your plus one, plus one counters on these hexproof merfolk. So your Kiora is dead. Okay, fine. But you just need two counters on the hexproof merfolk. Now they can't go infinite, but they can hold the counters to do all the other stuff. So I just, I just think you've got like enough of a grind plan as a backup plan, and then you can, you know, just get there with the Kiora's follower thing. So Kumena Tyrant of Arazka. This is one of those forgotten merfolk legends yeah i don't know what it does <laughs> it's three mana for a two four it allows you to tap another untapped merfolk you control to give him unblockable he's likely to tap tap three untapped merfolk you control to draw a card tap five untapped merfolk to put a plus one plus one counter on each merfolk you control there you go yeah i guess the way to like get around so the pilgrimage has that whenever one or more templating so if you're just using the combat step, you're only going to get one token per turn, and maybe that's where it's going to be a letdown. But David, you're you're envisioning that multiple times during the turn cycle, you're going to be tapping, untapping, tapping, untapping with the follower, with Tyvar, with Springleaf draw, maybe. Yeah, and even like Tyvar plus follower plus Kumena, like tapping stuff, you just get to do this a bunch of different times. Yeah. Because the follower taps to untap another creature that was maybe tapped, so like Kumena can tap... Mm true okay something you can untap it with follower and then you can tap it again to kumena so you got three separate instances just there those are three one ones now those can tap to draw a card yeah they don't get to make any more one ones but that's already something okay all right i'm interested all right if we can place a note scout it's fine <laughs> we got you probably, you have a deck for the scout are you happy now <laughs> i uh, there's a million decks for this scout it's gonna go on every deck <laughs> Turn one, freaking one one draw land. I, it's unstoppable. I can't believe you don't love this card. <laughs> I think I just have to like it cast everything it once. you want. It's it's true. It's true. Um, hey, you can sack it to the uh, the black artifact that you liked, right? <laughs> it gave you a land before it died. Perfect. <laughs> exactly. All right, we're getting some bangers. I mean, this set looks pretty sweet. Our favorite cards are coming up now, basically. So at two mana, this is my this is my favorite card. I love this card. I'm surprised to hear you say that, but go ahead. Malcolm, Alluring Scoundrel. I don't know if this person was in the last set. I don't recognize Malcolm. It doesn't seem like a very magical, mystical name, but whatever. <laughs> Malcolm, Malcolm in the middle, the Alluring Scoundrel. When it deals combat damage to a player, put a chorus counter on it. Draw a card, then discard a card. If there are four or more chorus counters on Malcolm, you may cast a discarded card without paying its mana cost. Flash, flying, 2-1, two, 2 mana. Ignore the chorus stuff, doesn't matter at all. I mean, eventually you, you might get there, that's fine. You don't have to play proliferate. You might not hit him four times. That's okay. This is the best 2 mana looter ever printed by a huge margin. And the fact that it's a pirate with um, evasion is awesome with breaches. So we play this on 2, whatever. They, they play Blood Tithe Harvester. We flash this in EOT. We play breaches attack. We get, at minimum a treasure or we flash this in we play riel we get to draw discard draw again all three of those guards are legendary so you can play combat research you can also play mox amber 
I, this is just, and then there's a, um, with the breaches thing, there's a, there's a, uh, another pirate we'll get to that triggers when artifacts come into play. I, I just love this card. I'm happy that you're happy. Always good to see the joy in a fellow brewer. <laughs> I don't think this is that much different from just like a looter Ilkor, right? It's a two mana looter that's unblockable. So it has flesh, but you're saying you don't even want to use the chorus counters, right? You just want a two mana creature that attacks and loots. Well, here's the thing. I'm, I flash this in, I play Riel. Okay, now what do you kill? Are you killing Riel or Malcolm? You can kill Riel, you can kill Breaches, that's fine. But now the Malcolm counters are starting to matter because I'm going to hit you next turn. Each creature I'm playing is like turning Malcolm into like a super threat. So then again, do you kill Breaches or do you kill Riel? You're really putting them under the gun because if you get to attack with Breaches, that's pretty awesome. If you get to leave Riel in play with a bunch of loot effects, then that's awesome. So... Mm. So you don't need it. My point is you don't need to get to four. That's that's a total mistake. This is way better than Luder Elcor because you consistently underrate Flash when you described a three-mana sorcery artifact as being equivalent to a three-mana draw two at instant speed. <laughs> you just get to leave all your mana up, especially against like red decks. Okay, they have Stomp Up. I don't play Malcolm. Yeah. Pass it back to them. Are they going to burn three mana and not play their Fable? Okay, they are. All right. Now I flash in Malcolm or I censor. I get to decide. Okay. So you're, you're envisioning that there's instance in the deck. <laughs> y- yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put sensor in the deck. I'm sorry. I'm just not going to do it, but all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. The, the, the whole point is the problem with all these other cards and there are cards. If you told me no one was playing removal are better. Jace is better. Rona is better. Um, the one, one uh, werewolf that's unblockable is better. But people are playing removal. Those cards are all dying. You just put those in the graveyard. And you can never hold up counter magic on turn two. And especially on the draw, these loot effects are really weak. Because a resolved fable, a resolved um, Kiora, etc., etc. I can name a bunch of cards that these tempo decks can't actually beat because they put you so far behind on board. Uh, even if the looting card is a little better than Malcolm, they uh, find themselves way behind. I am mostly excited for the pirate type line so being on curve with breaches is very exciting with the the next pirate that puts counters on creatures that puts counters on pirates that's also very exciting if you go back and look at the previous Ixalan block there there really aren't any big pirate payoffs no admiral brass was a kind of a bust and the uncommon lords were not very good either wasn't there a 2-2 pirate that if you attacked with a pirate, you could like pay two mana and get another 2-2 or something? It's like one in a black. Fathom Fleet or Dire Fleet Captain, but like those things are just not, they're just yeah. not worth two mana. That's the problem. Yes. But anyway, we'll, we'll see. They've juiced the payoffs for sure. The fact that we're getting to play all legends is key. Combat research, a card Dan had to look up. Mm-hmm. Very, very powerful if you're playing enough legends. So it's a one blue mana, plus one, plus one. And Ward 1, if it's legendary. And then if it does combat damage, you get to draw. It's too good, man. <laughs> totally forgot about this card. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's pretty good. All right. This, this Flash stuff is breaking my brain. I need simpler cards. Two mana legends without Flash. And the next one here is more my speed. This would also, this would also go in my deck. It's basically just a legend deck, honestly. <laughs> legendary looters, huh? All right, so we have Inti, Sun's Caretaker. Uh, this is the translation. 
One in a red for a legendary human knight. It's a 2-2 creature. Whenever you attack, you may discard a card. When you do, put a plus one plus one counter on target attacking creature. That creature gains trample until end of turn. Also, whenever you discard one or more cards, exile the top card of your library, you may play that card until your next end step. So I'm looking at the translation. I'm not 100% convinced that this is whenever you attack. That implies that NT does not have to attack. I'm not sure if that's actually how this works. <laughs> yeah, and that that's a big deal because like one of the plays you can envision is like A1 drop with invasion. We'll just say Phoenix Shake. It doesn't have to be that. You could play this, discard a card. Maybe that doesn't matter. You know, your, your fourth land in your red deck and just make your Phoenix 2-2 right away. It's just a possibility like that. That option is at least worth noting. Um, so, yeah, whether that's the case or not matters. But I love that it's whenever you discard one or more cards so you can discard anything. You can cycle sensor on their end step and you get a free card on your turn. Again, play that card suggests I can play a land, correct? Uh, yes, I think so. Yeah. So, again, the translation really matters here, but. Okay, so I did not realize that these two abilities were not connected to each other. I thought that this only happened when you attacked. But you're saying that it's kind of like real. Anytime you discard for any reason, you can exile the top card of your library. Yeah, so let's say you're, you're some kind of genius. <laughs> and you flashed in Malcolm on turn two. Let's just say it happened. I don't know. We don't know how it happened. You know? uh, forward thinking. Then you, yeah. then you play Inti. You get to attack. You can pump Malcolm or not. That's your call. That discards a card. Triggers this once. Malcolm hits for three or two, your call. Loots, that triggers this again. <laughs> you're probably going to hit your land drop that turn. You can discard any lands that are in your hand because you're going to find a land off the top of your deck. Something to think about. Just, just a play pattern that's going to happen okay. 40 or 50 times as I dominate Pioneer cues. I can't believe this card was spoiled after you went on your big Malcolm spiel the other day. I already had the deck list built. Now I have to like make more space for it. I also want to point out... Since I'm the only one who's 5 0 with it, everyone just, I don't know, missed the boat. Shatter Skull Charger, also awesome with Inti. <laughs> That's true. Just come into play, power it up, freaking smoke them. <laughs> okay, so if, if this is indeed what Inti does, it is shockingly versatile. It's got elements of Luminarch Aspirant, elements of a looter, elements of Reality Everwise. We'll see. I'm suspicious. I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I'm not going to pretend I can understand the uh, language that's here, but this is not how they typically word these types of cards, so I, I'm not sure I'm a believer. It's sort of safe in the sense that on turn two, you're unlikely to be able to use the exile card. You only get one turn to play it. It's not the generous exile effect. Um, so in that sense, like, yeah, if, it's, if you're not getting the payoff until turn three... What's the harm in letting somebody play this on turn two and discard a card to pump their Phoenix chick? Well, just making this have to attack is a huge loss. Right, right. Hopefully that's not true. Because you can continuously attack with a Phoenix chick you know, on turn four or five. I mean, Shielded functionally stops this card from working, right? You have to throw it away to put a plus one plus one on something else and mm. maybe get another look at a card. So that that really matters to me. I want to be able to attack with my Shatter Skull Charger. I want to be able to attack with my my Phoenix chick, my Malcolm. Um, my breaches. Okay. It has first strike. If I if I can't do that, this just dies. Right, it's a two two to three three. I mean, that's just isn't. <laughs> we we just talked about how mono green just puts a body in the way. This doesn't do anything. Interesting. Okay, so this card is sweet. I'm very high on this. Possibly, <laughs> as currently interpreted, this card is awesome. <laughs> All right, we move on to the explorer's stash. 
One in a green artifact. Explorer stash enters with two plus one plus one counters. Whenever a creature you control with a plus one plus one counter on it dies, you put a plus one plus one counter on the explorer stash. So they, they die, their weapon goes back in the stash. <laughs> Tap. Move a plus one plus one counter from explorer stash to target creature. Activate only as a sorcery. And this is translated from Spanish, so it might be called something else. Yeah, so this is a card you wanted to skip. This is one of my cards I'm going all in on. I think this card is actually awesome. I think this is way, way better in Pioneer than Scales or the Green Ozolith. And I'm surprised more people aren't talking about this. Uh, I, I, I've been wanting to make a, like a green-white value, plus one, plus one creature deck. This is the card I've been waiting for. The problem with Scales list is they try to go all in. They're supposed to be these incredible aggressive decks, but they're just worse than mono green. Mm. And then they aren't resilient to removal against red-black. So they're actually just bad against both matchups. Like, I don't know what they're supposed to be good against. I'm just shocked that you think this is better than Hardened Scales itself. I, I get that it's better than the one green Ozolith, but how can it be better than Hardened Scales? Because Hardened Scales requires you to play creatures that come with plus one, plus one counters natively. Yes. And those cards suck. Yes. So you have to play all these terrible cards that are bad unless you have Hardened Scales, and with Hardened Scales they're like, okay. There's a lot of cards that pay you off if you can just put a plus one, plus one counter on them to play a mid-range game, because you can't play aggressive game. We've, we've built the Hardened Scales deck over and over again. Doomwake does it every set. I do it every set. And you just get freaking rolled by mono green and you get destroyed by red black. So you're like bad against the two other mid-range lists and they attack on totally different angles. So we want to build a mid-range white green list. How do you do that? Explorer Stash is the card. It, it works also. I mean, if you want to talk about uh, the giant we just discussed, it's amazing with that. We'll just put that out there just so people are aware. If you want, if, if you want to do that. Hmm. But there's, there's a bunch of cards like Incubation Druid, like Dusk Legion Duelist, that are really good with the card Dromokus Command. And Dromokus Command is really good right now. It's awesome against Fable. It's really good against Waste Knot. It's really good against like the Leyline Binding decks. It prevents uh, burn damage if that matters. But you need a bunch of other plus one, plus one counter things to kind of make it worthwhile. And you needed free sources of plus one, plus one counter. So I was playing... Um, Aspirant, which is the most underrated creature in the entire format. This is like the rule of eight with Aspirant. Maybe you play like three of these, four Aspirant, whatever. And the thing that it does against removal decks is you get to play this on turn two instead of the creature. So normally what happens is you play your Growth Chamber Guardian into their stomp mana, and you're like, well, I can't not do anything. Maybe they don't have stomp. Well, they have stomp. Let me <laughs> a little spoiler alert for you. <laughs> but now, again, you play this on turn two. And they stomp you or don't, or fatal push something else or don't. Then they, they have to play a threat. And now you get value out of your creature. So if you're playing Duelist and you draw a card, uh, if you play Growth Chamber Guardian draw a card, if you play Incubation Druid and make it uh, a crazy mana threat, you're actually just outcarding Red Black. And when they kill your Growth Chamber Guardian, you get your plus one, plus one counter back on your thing. You're not ever going to run out of it. You just play another Growth Chamber Guardian, pump that one. They all trade with... Bonecrusher, Giant, whatever you want to trade with. Ah, gosh. I, and you have Dromoku's Command as a full-on two-for-one. I don't want to... I don't want to naysay, because I admire your enthusiasm. But remember how stoked I was for Invigorating Hot Springs? And I was like, oh, all these these things that pay you off for having plus-one, plus-one counters. And then it just turns out it's just not a viable curve. And, and there I was like, okay, turn one elf, turn two hot springs, and you can do all the same stuff. You get four plus one plus one counters. I guess that 
is like too demanding. So you're saying this doesn't have to be red green, right? You can put it in your white green deck. I want to play Dromoka's Command as the card. This card supports that. I see. Okay. Are we going to play the scout in here? Probably. It comes with a puzzle puzzle <laughs> counter. <laughs> it's just awesome. Just the best one drop in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Well, let's make it happen. I don't have to twist your arm too hard if I'm putting Growth Chamber Guardian that's in the deck. True. That's yeah, that's what I've that's what we've discovered. I know, I know. It's like it's got incubation druid here, it's got growth chamber guardian. It's got it all. Soul cauldron with incubation druid. It's we're doing it. People, come on. Let's go. Let's get serious. We move on. Uh okay, next up is a card that doesn't look like much, but I think we're both very high on this. It's the staunch crewmate. Compagno Risoluto, one and a blue human pirate, two one creature. When staunch crewmate enters the battlefield, look at your top four. You may reveal an artifact or pirate card from among those and put them into your hand. The rest go on to the bottom in a random order. We've seen this before. We've seen Glintness Crane. We've seen Ingenious Smith. And yet, somehow this is just like so much better. Well, Dan, you were the big one to point out that the and when the enabling card can find itself yes. and um, that that's a bit or interacts with it with the mechanic. Uh, that was one of the things that kind of flagged us when we looked at Caromonics that can find other Caromonics as is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this being able to find itself really helps your numbers. We have played a lot of Ingenious Smith. Probably you and I have played more Ingenious Smith decks than anyone in the entire format. And we're always, always scrimping on the artifact count, like trying yes. to get the numbers where Ingenious Smith is drawing a card, maybe even helping us hit our land drops. Could we play this with Ingenious Smith? I don't know. I, I like this card. I, I still like Smith. I, I, I won't take your dismissal of Ingenious Smith. But uh, yeah, this card is super sweet. It is a pirate for breaches. <laughs> it does find Malcolm. <laughs> Well, that's the thing, right? Like, you don't have to be on the artifact angle. You could just be on the tutor my pirates angle. So it's it's super versatile in that. Well, not super versatile. It's two two decks instead of one. You can put it in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've doubled the options for this card. Um, but yeah, like if you want to make that happen, I'm probably going to play four staunch crewmates in that deck, right? In the breaches Malcolm deck. Yeah, I probably won't do that, but this is much more of a value card. The question I have, you played the that blue prototype, and we were often casting it for one blue-blue for a 2-1 that basically drew and cast a, a one-mana spell from our graveyard. And you had, had a big complaint that the 2-1 body wasn't relevant. So I think the big challenge we have is Staunch Crewmate, unlike Ingenious Smith, doesn't grow, right? It will never trade with Bonecrusher Giant. Mm. So can we do something to the body to make it bigger? You know, breaches helps it attack through things. It can, you know, prevent a creature from blocking. Um, so th- that, that's an interesting thing to think about. Because I just remember it, it, it sort of compares very interestingly with that prototype creature where they're both two on bodies that are, gi- that, that are giving you value. Uh, and Law 11 also specifically said, you know, you need three power to really matter in this format. So that's just something we need to think about. Okay, we're getting all this value. We have to make sure we... As we've found with Ingenious Smith, we've often died with a lot of cards in our hand to, you know, a shielded-like uh, effect. I'm not as worried about that because this is going to go into decks with a lot of creatures. So th- the problem with the Arcane Proxy was it was like trying to be the only creature in like a Snapcaster role in a spells deck. And those decks just get nothing out of the 2-1. But like here, I'm thinking of those Melkator decks we were playing 
where yeah the smith was a good card but it was always like right at the threshold of whiffing i'd rather just have this it finds itself i can replace my three bin inspectors with the one one pirate that makes the map and so now i just have a ton of hits i'm never gonna whiff on the staunch crewmate and then i'm just gonna attack every turn with like a couple of one ones a two one and some three three golems and if it dies it dies I, that's fine yeah, uh, a cool card we'll get to later, but there's a four-mana artifact that has tribal synergies and works really well with this fellow. Interesting. It's a hit for this, and it also doubles its trigger. Yeah, if there is like some cool pirate synergy, I'm really glad they gave us this tool as well. So. Yeah. Well, this helps you find breaches. Like, the natural curve you want to play is this into breaches on three, attack with this, and don't let them block. Yeah. So, going to be investing heavily in staunch crewmates. Very happy with that. Next up, oh, we got the Looter Scooter is back. Well, the Looter Schooner. Subterranean Schooner, one in a blue, artifact vehicle, 3-4, crew 1. Whenever it attacks, target creature that crewed at this turn explores. Yeah, this card seems awesome to me. Like, the 3-4 body is really relevant. It's really good against red. There are not that many effects in any of the red decks that actually kill this. Obviously, it dies a push, but that is what it is. Um, you can find it with the guy we just talked about. So you can play a mostly pirate deck with a couple of these as interesting two drops. Yeah, I mean, no notes. Uh, I, the main weakness here is that it gets shut down by Karn. This is not going to be a good card against green at all. But against every other color, I think it's actually going to be awesome. How do you compare it to the Omen Keel? So the Omen Keel needs to damage them and is legendary and has one less toughness. So I compare it very favorably to the Omen Keel. Because that was one that, you know, we were putting it in our Unctus decks, or I was. and um, It was always like a card that I felt like should have been much better than it was, but it just wasn't quite doing it. Uh, I'm not totally sure if I could articulate why. But like just like random ground bodies are just not that exciting, it turns out. Now, exploring is essentially surveilling, sometimes drawing a card. So maybe that's what I was missing. Like the ability to actually improve my future draws. Also exploring on attack, not not on not on damage. The other one had to damage. Correct. Yeah. And again, the one one toughness really matters. So like Graveyard Trespasser cannot block this profitably. Mm. Blood Tithe Harvester cannot block this profitably. Or even, excuse me, trade. I can't even trade. Mm-hmm. Um, only green like holds this basically. Okay. And then you pump up your like garbage. So we just said, okay, we have a two one that finds an artifact. How do we make this two one bigger? Well, we explore. It turns it into a three power creature. Now it does the law eleven thing. It trades with Bone Crusher. Trades with Graveyard Trespasser. So are you going to build around this, or are you just going to throw it into decks where it can be? I'm not going to build around it. Um. Maybe I can maybe I'd build a Magda list around this. Hmm. But I think it's just in your pirate the pirate list you're describing, mm-hmm. I just play a bunch of I play like at least two of these and just start and see how good good it feels. This also like turns your crappy creatures into something that matter, right? Your one one that makes a map, that body now matters because all it is is jumping behind the the keel of this beautiful boat, <laughs> taking it for a joyride through the cove. <laughs> Yeah, like turn three Malkator, that's a 1-1 one, one and a 3-3. Three, three. Malkator crews the, the new boat. Malkator potentially grows 
Um, we hit for some damage. I can see it. Uh, it's actually an artifact, unlike Cosima, so you can find it off your Ingenious Smiths and such. We'll see. Yeah. I'm a believer. Moving on. We have a new white removal spell. Get Lost. Very cute. Get Lost. One in a white instant. Destroy target creature, enchantment, or planeswalker. Its controller creates two map tokens. Very flavorful. Yeah, I think this might be the best white removal spell in the format. <laughs> For mid-range decks, the decks I want to build. I don't think Control wants to play this card. So you're envisioning that the opponent just can't use the maps, basically. Against a lot of decks, it's hard for the opponent to use maps. So, like, first of all, if you have Karn in your deck, this is awesome. I mean, I don't need to explain that. Um, but, like, let's say we're talking about the, like, fires lists. You know, so you fires, then you play the uh, two, a green and a blue to sack. This is a way to kill that. It's very rare to just play a card that has general use. So you just kill that. That deck has very few creatures, very few creatures to target with a map. You can also target your own creature. This is templated, so if, if it matters to you, you can blow up <laughs> something of yours. You could blow up the one one that made a map and uh, get two more maps. I'm sure that my brain has rotted from just being obsessed with game objects, because when you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to do that. And when you describe killing their creatures and giving them two maps, I'm like, no, I, I can't give them two maps. <laughs> Are you insane? <laughs> Those are two maps. They'd be happy if they got two maps. Like two maps is two surveils, is two draw, it's two lands. Um, it pumps their creatures. Ah, I don't know. So like that—that's part of my, my reservation about using it defensively. And then on top of that, I just—I never felt like Fateful Absence was a very good card. Um, well, I, yeah, Fateful Absence is like very good as like a two of, and I think this is in control. Fateful Absence is fine because their theory is all right. You get to go up a card, but it takes you enough mana that I've established my like really powerful cards. This is interesting in the sense that it stops like the really powerful plays and then gives you in theory time to punish them before they can do anything about it. Mm. And like drawing lands is worse and worse as the game goes on. Surveilling becomes more and more powerful as the game goes on. So like drawing lands in the late game, I mean, fine. They also have to have a creature. I mean, they, they target a creature with this ability. Hmm. And it's at sorcery speed. So, like, if you, in the example I was using, blow up their enchantment at EOT, then you get a whole turn cycle before they can even think about using their maps. Be that as it may, let's talk about blowing up your own stuff, because that's, I want the maps. I still want the maps for myself. Are you at all interested in um, doing this with Demonic Pact, where you just, like, need more things? I mean, I might just be out on Demonic Pact, but yeah, I'm, I'm into 2 3 League with Demonic Pact. Okay. <laughs> if it is indeed the best white removal spell, it seems better than that blink effect we were using last time. The soul. The problem, though, is then we need a bunch of creatures in our Demonic Pact deck to get value out of the maps. Mm. And one of the things we want to do in our Demonic Pact deck is play very few creatures because we turn off their removal. Well, we'll just sack the maps to uh, Beseech the Mirror or something. Or de Deadly Disputes. Yeah, okay. Now, now we're... Yes, now we're having a conversation. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. So that's Guest Lost. We are making our way through the twos. Uh, do you want to talk about this blade trap thing? Spring-loaded saw blade? Yeah, that's it. Spring-loaded saw blade. 
Okay, so I don't want to say that this card is good. I just want to point out that Dan and I have made a bunch of mid-range artifact lists that have Ingenious Smith, that go up on all these cards, and they just end up losing to Shieldred even though we're way ahead. We're ahead by miles in every other avenue. And the problem is that the white artifact removal, except for the five mana <laughs> White Stone Weak Stone, it's the only card that actually kills Shieldred. So Glass Casket doesn't do it. Um, Portable Hole doesn't do it. This is a card that can actually kill children. Now, is it worth it to play a card that's pretty bad? Maybe, maybe not. It's it's not terrible. So it's one in a white flash. When spring-loaded sawblades enters the battlefield, it deals five damage to target tapped creature and opponent controls. So it actually kills a bunch of cards that was really hard for our like white decks to kill. It kills a, like a flipped fable the first turn they use it, and it kills Shieldred if it ever taps. Now we have a lot of cards that reveal <laughs> artifacts that we're finding, so maybe they'll know it's in our hand. But they have to tap something eventually, so... <laughs> yeah. Now, it has another thing. Craft artifacts with three and a white. Exile this. Exile another artifact from your hand... Excuse me, from player graveyard. It comes back as a 5-5 five, five with a, a five, 5 vehicle with crew one, so that's pretty interesting. And you can tap two other untapped artifacts you control. It becomes an artifact creature until end of turn. So that's kind of cool. If you have a deck with a couple of like portable holes, a couple of map tokens, etc. Uh, you don't actually have to spend a body to crew it. The 5-5 five, five gets to attack into Shieldred. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know how to like price this out. It seems like it's actually okay. It, it seems like it's pretty good against Spirits, for instance. Um, it's like a white Bone Crusher Giant, right? You stomp onto, you get a giant thing on turn four yeah <laughs> seems like a thing that could be accurate i i think if we if we built a a list like we had in, in the past we would play like one of these main and just see how it worked out is is my read and it will work once and then they will stop attacking with shield and then that's that so <laughs> they'll never attack again you'll never kill anything with it again and maybe that's fine I mean, if they don't ever attack with any creatures, then that just gives us a chance to build a board to, to route them. I wish that were true. I just am haunted by these games where like a single shield just shuts everything down. This also gets to, to attack into shielded, which is kind of nice. You can play it with no targets and then craft it into a 5-5. Five five. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> also, again, very small points, but flash artifacts really matter with the ingenious smith gives you an extra trigger mm. okay all right there's enough there's enough little corner case things here that i i think this is that we're at least worth trying yeah that's a three mana enchantment i don't think we're going to get to it in this episode but it it makes a dinosaur whenever you cast an artifact once a turn and you were looking for flash artifacts this is basically the only one that's playable <laughs> so yeah um so there's that all right we move on just a couple more two drops Captain Storm, Plunderer of Cosmium. Blue and a red, legendary human pirate, 2-2. That's ominous stats, but the text is very good. The text says, whenever an artifact enters a battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one counter on target pirate you control. So there's that one drop, the siren thing that makes the map. That counts, right? It doesn't, you don't have to cast the artifact. It's just any artifact that comes into play. A token, yes. a map, a treasure, whatever you want. Um, distributing plus one plus one counters on any of your pirates, including Captain Storm itself. Yeah, breaches can make a um, treasure when you attack, mm. when a pirate attacks. 
So this into breaches is at least a 3-3 attacking. Um, like I said, we'll, we'll get to this on our next pod, but the four-mana artifact that uh, has some synergies with tribal, it, uh, it doubles triggers. So, uh, like I said, we'll, we'll talk about that in our next spoiler, but the four-mana artifact comes into play. It's an artifact to trigger this. It doubles the triggers. If we have a breaches in play, we double the breaches trigger. And then every artifact that's made uh, has double triggers from this. So I, I think this has a lot of synergies. You do need to have a lot of artifacts, a lot of ways to trigger this, but it definitely pays you off. So the pirates we've seen in this set, there's the 1-1 one, one flying for one. There's the 2-1 flash looter that you love. There's the 2-1 uh, the that we both love that searches as your top four. There's breaches of the three mana lord the monkey lord that makes treasures and all that stuff. And then there's this one. So it's like within a single set, you have all this great new pirate stuff. Artifact theme there, where are the artifacts coming from? It's just the one drop so far, and I guess breaches making treasures. If you have more artifacts that you feel like are appropriate, then the, the staunch crewmate finds them. Well, you can you can play the uh, vehicle we just described, the 3-4. You have enough legends, you can play some number of Mox Ambers. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's true. I'm just talking about that four mana tribal artifact yes. um, is very good. And that might just be enough. The thing is, I think you have to kind of build a bunch of different decks. Like the 2-1 the looting card isn't very good with all these other artifact matters cards. Um, mm. So you, you kind of like the 2-1 the guy that finds artifacts, that's a very like tap out version of the deck. You don't want to play any flash cards there. You're kind of like consumed with, with power. So I, I think you just kind of have to like mix and match, but you'd like enough legends, I think, to at least be able to play one or two Mox Amherst because that's really good with Captain Storm. Yeah. Fable is a card you can play. Again, you don't want to get too expensive maybe, but Fable allows you to get a treasure every turn when it attacks. True, true. All right, so cautiously optimistic for Captain Storm. Magda. Mm, dwarf pirate? No, dwarf pilot. She's not, but she makes treasures. True. I mean, just like a free source of treasures. True. And if you have other dwarves, like every dwarf that crews the the artifact pumps Captain Storm, basically. Ragavan, that's going to be in Pioneer Masters in the Marvel set, I'm sure. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, last but not least, we have a two drop that everyone's talking about because... This may be a thing. I mean, if this is a thing, this is a shocking new combo. So, David, do you want to tell us about Amalia? Amalia Benavides Aguirre. White, black, legendary creature, vampire scout, ward, pay three life. A ward that Dan typically hates. 2-2. Two, two. Whenever you gain life, Amalia explores. Then destroy all creatures if Amalia's power is exactly 20. All other creatures. So, yeah, you, point, you pointed out this is not limited to once a turn. With a soul sister, you can be exploring a lot. Uh, yeah, that's true. Obviously, I pointed out the Wild Growth Walker. I think you pointed out someone in the Discord uh, has found someone investing heavily in their Wild Growth Walker. So just to explain to people, if you have a life gain source that happens and Amalia and Wild Growth Walker are both in play, Wild Growth Walker triggers a bunch of times until you get to 20 power for Amalia and then she kills all other creatures in play. And that's it. So is that an option? Like, can you stop the exploration combo or does it just keep happening no matter what? 
No, you you cannot. So Wild Growth Walker says whenever a creature explores, you put a plus and plus encounter on the walker and you gain three life. That's not an option. Amalia says whenever you gain life, she explores. So that's just going to keep happening. So you're definitely going to explore like 18 times at least. Yeah, yeah, significantly more. I do want to point out, if people are going to do this, they should for sure play the 3-1 dude who um, comes back if, when you gain 3 life. So after they kill your Amalia, you get some power out of this. The problem with this is Amalia kills the Soul Sister and the Wild Growth Walker. So this is like an infinite combo that puts you down two cards and doesn't actually kill them. You have a 20 power creature in play. But the ward does not take extra mana, as you like to point out, Dan. So it still just dies to Fatal Push. It dies to Stomp at the start of the combo. It's an interesting deck building problem. So you got to like think it through. So you're you're exploring how many times? 30 times during this combo? Yeah. Um, let's say, okay, 12 of those were lands. 18 of the other cards, let's just assume you have to put them in the graveyard. And then you're saying you want those to be Silver Smoke Ghouls. So that you get yep. stuff back. Do you want creeping chills? Do you want other graveyard stuff? Like you gotta get paid off for milling that many cards, right? Yeah, I mean, you also have to play Coco in your deck because you just can't do this at sorcery speed. <laughs> um, so you need to have a bunch of hits for Coco. Like at least Silver Smoke Ghoul is a Coco hit, although it's a terrible one. You also need to have probably Innkeeper is the best Soul Sister and Pioneer. Uh, Modern has actual one mana Soul Sisters, which is a lot more attractive because you can play Amalia on curve. And obviously the three colors is not a problem. So you have to, you have to play a Coco list without Elvish Visionary, without Lanoir Elves. Um, I, I actually don't think this is interesting. The deck is going to kind of be locked in in the first week and it's either going to be good or not. I mean, you got to play Sonote Scout. It's It's kind of surprising that neither Amalia nor Wild Growth Walker actually begins the combo, right? They, they each require something else to happen. So you need to either have a life gain source or an explorer source. That would work too. So the Cenote yes, Scout can yep. do it. Um, and you can play all the one and two and three mana explorer cards if you want. Like you can just play a Wild Growth Walker deck. Sometimes you don't draw Amalia, right? So you just Wild Growth Walker plus Cenote Scout can gain a bunch of life <laughs> if you want. I mean... Wild Growth Walker is not a good card, um, and that's a that's a really big problem. Well, it's good if they're attacking you, but they're probably not. I, I don't know. It's good against red. It's a nightmare against red. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, although now, because people don't remember, at the time, we didn't have good ways to kill it. Now you just play it one red mana, and Wild Growth Walker is dead. So mm. it's a little different. I mean, red's got some tools here. But, I mean, we have that new white on Earth, which could very well go in this deck. If you're playing full Abzan, you have Can't Stay Away. Every time you explore, you can just bin these cards, so you can kind of assemble the combo in the graveyard first. It seems good to me, actually. I think it's going to be surprisingly good. I mean, I don't think it's surprising. It's, everyone has this combo on their radar. <laughs> I mean, everyone's knew at the first second this card got spoiled. There's nothing surprising. All, all I'm saying, David, is if you want to buy some play sets of Wild Growth Walker, <laughs> oh, I, wow. I may be able to uh, supply that for you. So I do want DM to throw me. one thing in there. The, the, the last time Wild Growth Walker saw any play in Pioneer was people tried to play Wild Growth Walker with all the Explore cards in the shell of the, uh, the three black black uh, artifact that lets you play off the top of your deck by paying life equal to the casting cost. Mm -hmm. 
So that shell is already playing Abzan color. So you could play Wild Growth Walker and Amalia in that shell, which is kind of interesting. So you kind of would have two combos built in. That's the good life. <laughs> I like playing Amalia. I think Amalia is a lot more interesting. It's just a white black card. and You just have a bunch of ancillary life gain around. Yeah. And you aren't wasting your time with Wild Growth Walker. Like, I think she's a really interesting card. I think people like this combo is dumb. And if it's good or not, I have no opinion. But the she's much more interesting as as we like to do. We like to play small ball where you just have random life gain effects and you're just slowly like grinding out a ton of value with her. If not for Fury, I would I would actually say that you just put this in modern Soul Sisters and it's actually very, very good. Like just exploring a million times a turn cycle is extremely good. You'll draw cards, you'll fill the graveyard. Yeah, I I I, I don't think you're wrong. I, I think that's um, very true. <laughs> it's a shame that those Soul Sisters are not legal in Pioneer. That would be on on rate. It wouldn't be broken or anything. So, yeah, I mean, it's basically like you're hoping to go like turn two, innkeeper, make a treasure. Turn three, Coco on EOT. Hopefully, you get there. If they have no removal and you hit these two cards, you have a twenty twenty get to attack with. All right, so we've made it through the two drops that are relevant that have been previewed so far. Uh, I think that's all we have time for today, David. But are there any other cards? higher on the curve you just like want to shout out before we go i'm going to shout out one card just because we came to fame for niv mizza purposes no one is talking about this people are talking about it. i'm even playing playable nedh sunbird standard okay this is my other artifact i feel like is super underrated three mana artifact tap for any color so all right that's pretty weak <laughs> i think most people stop there i mean that's all it does right it's a three mana manolith I would just stop reading at that point. Craft with one or more permanents uh, for five mana. So you can craft with as many as you like, five mana. It transforms into a bird construct with flying vigilance and haste. Its power and toughness are equal to the colors among cards exiled to craft. And then it taps to add one mana for each color among cards exiled to craft. So what I want to do is play this on three, cast Fatal Push or Thoughtseize, fine. Next turn, I play Niv-Mizzet. If Niv-Mizzet resolves, I draw two cards and probably win. If Niv-Mizzet doesn't resolve or dies, that's fine. Next turn, I play my fifth land. I exile this thing and Niv-Mizzet together. This comes into play as a 5-5 Vigilance Flying Haste. I hope I'm reading this card correctly. I feel like people must, I must be misunderstanding it. Then I attack for five. Then I get the five mana back, like Omnath style. To play, I don't know, another Niv-Mizzet or a Bring to Light for all five colors or whatever. And if I'm worried about removal, like when this comes into play, I just do that before combat. Am I reading this right? This card is awesome. <laughs> you are reading it correctly. It's just that the front half is so bad that the back half should be amazing. And it just, I think, it's hard to compute. So you're saying that Niv-Mizzet alone supplies all five colors. That's all you need to craft this. Now with five colors exiled on the Sunbird Effigy. It's a 5-5 five, five flying haste vigilance that pays for itself, right? The fact that you craft it, even though you tap itself to craft it, it exiles and comes back untapped. Comes back untapped with haste, ready to attack, ready to make mana. That is attractive. I, I do con concede that that's attractive. Yeah, I guess maybe how many colors is enough? Does it have to be all five? Because Niv is like not too good these days. What if it's just like a 4-4-4? Four, four, four? Why, isn't, why isn't Niv good these days? I just he makes you fill your deck with gold cards. Does he though? Like, what if we just played less gold cards? I just want to draw a card. I want to play a five mana dragon that draws a card. 
So you just want to replace Up the Beanstalk and the current NIF lists? I'm sure as shit I'm not playing Up the Beanstalk. Jesus Christ, that card is terrible. We're going to have to show you guys how it's done. Niv visit, Pioneer, Let's Go, Sunbird Standard. It's it's going to be money. <laughs> I want to play Niv visit but over the black control elements. Four push, four Thoughtseize, four Sylvan Carry added, four of these. And then the other cards can be double colored. I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> what was the card we were talking about earlier that works with the Sunbird Standard? Um, yeah, what was the card we were talking about? I don't remember. Oh, the uh, untap thing. The red-green land. Oh, yeah, the Restless Ridge line. That's it. Oh, so yeah, we attack for seven. <laughs> and then tap this at instant speed to do something. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a mystery. Yeah, it's a shame that the Restless Ridge line only untaps a creature that's already attacking. That's kind of tricky. Yeah. It's actually very surprising. But anyway, yeah. A creature that taps for five mana. So that's like, that's Gigantha's music. That's very exciting. <laughs> and it's unrestricted. And it's a mana lift in the meantime. So yeah, I, I could see it. I could see it. Oh, we can play Gigantha in this list too. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, That's two colors right there. Yeah, it, it, people, come on. No one's even talking about this card. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. <laughs> It's like a common, right? I guess it's uncommon. But yeah, it does, it's like, an it does not look playable. But if you're thinking of the backside as like a wilderness wreck, it pays for itself, then it starts to get interesting. Here's the thing, though. The, it, it depends on having an Ivmizit in play, but an Ivmizit, we're going to cast it. And it's either going to die or resolve. If it resolves, we're in pretty good shape. And if it dies, then we've got a backup plan. True. Yeah, they can't really stop the craft. The craft, you think of it as like, oh, five mana is like too much to invest, but it's going to happen. Like, they're not going to counter that you craft. Um, and you're going to get the haste mana source on, like, that's guaranteed. So. Yeah. And it's a, still a three uh, CC cost. So it dodges push somewhat. Oh, true. Yeah. It dodges red removal because it's got five toughness. So, it, like, blocks Phoenix. All right. Blocks everything. This card is broken. What's happening right now? <laughs> <laughs> and it's beautiful, too. Uh, it looks amazing. So. Yeah. The uh, the if you're if you're into Latin American art, it, the this set is very beautiful. All right, so if you stuck with us this long, you get a little spicy tech. You may have you missed your window to buy out Wild Growth Walkers, but you can still buy out your Sunbird Standards and your uh, whatever Explorer Stash. <laughs> These are David's hot picks <laughs> for draft on commons that are going to break Pioneer. We'll see. I'm I'm excited. The set looks awesome so far. Yeah, I think this is another banger. Um, the Wizards has been on a bit of a hot streak. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we are out of time for today. A lot more cool cards are coming higher on the curve. I'm sure in the next couple of days we'll get the rest of the set, which will also have some other cheap, efficient tools if these trends continue. And we'll cover all that next week. All right, sounds good. Take care. All right, take care. This concludes part one of our Brewer's Guide to Lost Caverns of Ixalan. Tune in next time for the second three-hour installment of our full set review in Modern and Pioneer. Support for this podcast is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe and we'll see you next time. <laughs>